0: And now, I got to sit down with a veteran of the information security community, Robert E. Lee. This is a very technical podcast and one that many people won't grok, but if you want to know more about how security actually works, this is a great episode. We discuss issues in TCP/IP, HTTP, how to do proper port scanning, as well as some of the business challenges around account takeovers and how to deal with those issues. We also discuss what's wrong with the information security community and how groupthink is prevailing. I left a link in the show notes in case people are concerned that we have suddenly become conspiracy theorists. And with that, please enjoy this view into the security abyss with Robert E. Lee. Hello and welcome to the Arsenic Show. Today we have Robert E. Lee. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Robert, you are one of my oldest infosec friends. Uh, I was trying to figure it out. It was some very, very, very early DEF CON uh, where we met each other. And I couldn't place which year it was, but it might have been the first or second DEF CON I ever
1: went to. I I remember the year. Um, Actually, we met online before we met in person. Was it really? Yeah. So you remember uh, IRC, of course, Uh uh from from early internet days. Uh So I started off on FNet, and I started exploring for more people to talk to. And I went over to undernet and you were one of the few people on undernet that routinely said interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we got to talking and then I, I think at some point uh, we exchanged phone numbers. Oh, and then, that must
0: be how it happened.
1: And in 2003, I think that was the first DEFCON that we actually met in okay, person. So
0: that's why, yeah. I, that's why I have that memory of meeting you there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I had weird experiences in IRC early in the days. Like, I would say three quarters of the people there knew nothing, like nothing, like I don't even know how they got online. And then the other third were like pretty good. And so, was, uh, but they're only good about their one thing and they didn't want to talk about anything but their one thing. And I'm like, oh man, like there's so much interesting stuff going on. So I was always just trying to get the conversation going like, well, what about this? What about that? So, but, uh, yeah, so it's been I'm going to guess something like 23 years, 22, 23 years now that we've known each other. Something yeah, like that, that sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit about how you got started in security? Like, how did you decide that, that was something you wanted to try?
1: Well, that's a roundabout story to say the least. Um, but I would say that the earliest memories of wanting to be in this space were from my childhood. Um, my dad, being a religious man, you know, we, we grew up in the Mormon faith, uh, he had six kids and I was the second oldest and uh, too many kids in the house for my mom while my dad was finishing his Ph.D. So I used to have to spend all the time at the computer labs with him d- during his uh, Ph.D. thesis, ex- you know, all all his research and everything. So I ended up playing with Unix systems from about 1983, 85, somewhere in that range, really, you know, spending a lot of time on Unix systems and he wouldn't ever tell me his password. And because he wouldn't tell me his password, that became my obsession. A challenge. <laughs> yes. yes, so I taught myself as much as I could about Unix, and I got to the point where I learned how to um, echo things to the screen that looked like the, the login prompt. I also learned how to grab keystrokes and record them to a file mm-hmm. and I learned how to have this be executed the f- as the first command after you sign in.
0: And and to hide the tty uh, output I'm assuming right? Oh of course. Yes. Of course. You literally just described the very first program I ever wrote by myself. It's identical. I mean, it, mine was like a kerberos prompt but uh <laughs> same same thing.
1: Yeah, so this this was, uh, it was like I think it was not born-again shell, but like it might have been born shell or one, one of the very, very old right. just SH, you right.
0: know. Corn shell or something?
1: No, no, I mean, we're talking 80s. Okay, right? oh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I I got his password, and that was the beginning of a, a long game of cat and mouse with my dad that lasted all through high school.
0: Did, was he in on this joke or? <laughs> uh,
2: yes, yes.
1: And then, then it became a, a game of, uh, you know, spy versus spy because, of, of course, I being... Uh, The type of person that I was in in high school, I learned how to steal the notes that allow you to um, have a a hall pass so you can walk about campus freely. Um, And I also learned how to write signatures of the teachers. And so I found myself in the library a lot, um, dialing into the Internet and hanging out on IRC when I probably should have been in school. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I
0: I vehemently disagree. You should have been doing exactly what you were doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, so the, of course not having a credit card in those days, um, you had to steal some. (laughs) No, I I did not do that, but I I did have to hack my dad's netcom account in Uh order to get onto the internet. And so he, he did similar things where, um, as you signed in, it would automatically send an email to another email account that I did not have access to. So he would know the timestamp of any time I accessed his account. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we'd have conversations every now and then. So what did you do today? Mm-hmm. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was, Don't lie to me, boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, some other some other fun things from childhood. You know, he he gave me um, a, a couple of different computers, some modems. And at a certain point, I was writing war dialers you know, looking for local BBS systems. And th- that lasted up until the point where, I mean, this this is, again, in the days where you, you didn't have unlimited ability to call phone numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it was in the same area code, depending on which zone you were calling based on the prefix, it, it could still be some cents per call. Mm-hmm. And so if you're calling every number in, in a in a <laughs> prefix, that, that long story short, I, I racked, racked a, up the phone bill. Uh, over $300 <laughs> in one month Oof. and... And he took away my modem for a while, <laughs> wow. but yeah. So that, that was that was my upbringing. That was my childhood. And then um, the other part of my childhood was was playing music. So I was, I thought I was going to be a professional French horn player in an orchestra somewhere, and I ended up getting a scholarship to BYU to be in their orchestra. I was a performance major. You know, it was great, uh, and I, I made the mistake of taking a programming class. Well, I say mistake, but that programming class. Uh, where I was learning C and, and, and other things, I I spent a lot of time in their labs and got very inquisitive because, you know, I knew a little bit about Linux by this point and in Unix for a long time. And I liked how I could sign into any system with the same credential. And I wanted to know how are they synchronizing this? This is 1995. And so I, I learned all about, um, NIS, you know, Yellow Pages is what it used to be before is NIS. And I learned how to, you know, YPCAT password. Mm -hmm. And then you have the hashed passwords. And I learned how passwords get hashed. I learned how to take the plain text and how to hash them. And not too long later, Mm -hmm. um, I had the passwords for about 75% of the accounts Mm -hmm. uh, in in the CS department. And then did the same thing for EE. And then I thought, hmm, this probably isn't good. Um, And so I told them about it. And I, I said, "Here's exactly how I did it," and 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 they said, "Well, how do you know it worked?" And I said, like, "Well, yeah, of course I tested it." And they're like, "Well, you broke the honor code," because uh, you know, this is BYU. BYU is somewhat strict with mm. these rules, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, so that that um, that was the beginning of of that that change where I was like, "Oh, well, maybe I I don't get to do music because I lost my scholarship. I was kicked out of school." Were you really? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, wow. it was It was very abrupt. And then, so from there, I had to take some menial jobs. I think I worked at uh, uh, as a sysadmin at Teleperformance USA, which is a cold calling company. So it's basically managing the computers so all the people in the other room can harass you and get you to buy things. Mm -hmm. Um, Worked my way from there. Some of the best security guys I know came
0: from boiler rooms. Uh, Just trying to automate the crap out of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Because it turns out,
0: an infinite amount of monkeys hitting an infinite amount of keys on a keyboard will definitely make it break.
1: You can totally get paid at a certain point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I did that for a while. Sysadmin for a while, got into consulting, was doing um, high availability consulting, wide area failover, disaster recovery, that, that sort of audit work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was working for a value added reseller that wanted to get into uh, the security space. And I got really, really interested in that, and I and I helped to put together. What about
0: it, though? What 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 do you like about it?
1: Well, I've spent up to this point in my career building things, and so I knew how things are supposed to work, and I knew where it could go wrong. I knew what kind of problems could arise if it does go wrong. Um, you know, along the way, I, th- I think at some point I was I was uh, as this had been for an ISP, and. Uh, v- just as we were onboarding new users, uh, we had low-level secretary-type people adding accounts, and of course they all had root access to do this, and they sometimes made mistakes. So I made a, uh, a web interface for them to do it, so in, in my mind that they could not screw up. And in, in testing that, you know, I, this is how I, I taught myself. Oh, uh, if you're just blindly taking user input, and you, there's things like semicolons, and you're still processing it as a command, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you shouldn't let arbitrary user input run commands as root. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so it's bad. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So you, 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 teach yourself a lot of things like that along the way. Wait, Just
0: wait, 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 before we go any further in this, I got to know, how did your parents take it when you got kicked out? Um, we kind of skipped over that.
1: Ah, um, of, of course it's hard, you know, cause you, you want your kids to succeed. Um, but, my dad, but that
0: was kind of a defensible thing. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, I was breaking the rules, but then I told them and I tried to help it make it better, right?
1: Sure, yeah, uh, but my my dad did what he what he normally does in a situation like this. He's like, well, uh, do you want to go back to work? And so he helped me um, work at his company for a little while. Hmm. So I I I got to do some some work at his engineering firm. Um, getting so, their systems up, so they up took to speed it
0: fairly okay. Then it sounds like. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you you want your kids to learn from their mistakes, and you also want the best outcome for them. Mm-hmm. And and so he helped achieve both of those.
0: Okay, because it kind of seems like that could have gone the other way. Right. And it's like, you did what? <laughs> well,
1: I mean, <laughs> no one was screaming. No one was yelling. <laughs> have, well, have, having spent, you know, my childhood with my dad, you know, he was not surprised.
0: Yeah. I was going to, yeah. It's like, it's your fault, dad. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just let much. me have your password and it would have been done. <laughs> yeah, none of this monkey
1: business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so fl- flashing forward again, back to the value at a reseller. So uh, I, I was helping put together uh, the normal, not quite a pen test, but you a know, vulnerability assessment, I think is probably a correct, more correct way of, of saying that. Mm-hmm. This is about the same time that I, I was looking online for how other people are doing it. And I, I got in, in contact with uh, another good friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, Pete Herzog. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back when he was still calling it the idea hamster. Uh, but they they have the open source security testing methodology manual, which is you know crazy mouthful but right. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I got pretty heavy into that. I started using it, and then I I became one of the authors for that uh, for for the next major rewrite. I, I put a lot of work as as one of their main contributors. Uh, but that was that was a lot of fun. And then because that went so well, um, I I then found a couple of business partners and decided to do uh, a business venture. And I, I started a penetration testing company. So at that point, we, we matured it beyond just, you know, a Nessus scan or, you know, something hu- super high-level, lightweight, but really got into the weeds of uh, being able to evaluate the software and, and find Oday in almost every assessment that we did.
0: So that was Dyad, I'm assuming? Yes, <clears throat> Dyad Security, UIAD. So... What is it about manual penetration testing in this context that you thought was significantly better than the sort of more automated rote ways of testing at the time?
1: The rote ways, you know, I'm not sure if that they've really advanced much since this time period, but you know, the, the basics there is you, you tell it a network range. And it first tries to say, okay, of these IP addresses in this range, which of them seem to be responding? And which ports do they seem to be responding on? And then based on the ports, they might send different payloads in order to try to enumerate what kind of service is on the other end of that port. And then depending on the service, they might um, try to get version information or, or at some level send send enough of a payload to confirm that it's actually vulnerable to the vulnerabilities it knows how to look for, and so you can relatively quickly enumerate uh, systems and software that's installed and well-known problems that that software might have. But these have these are prone to both false negatives and false positives, and I, I think that's why it's it's a little bit underwhelming to only have that surface level assessment, um, and so. Well, that that's that's part of the issue. Uh, this is also back in the time period where people put all sorts of things on the internet that probably shouldn't have ever been on the internet. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, oh, that's definitely changed. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's so much worse. <laughs> I it, yeah. Now I, it's all that stuff and a whole bunch of new bad stuff. <laughs> it,
1: yeah, it's it, it, it's been a while since I've cared about that sort of thing. Um, you know about about this time period <laughs> as well. Like we we kept getting hired for bigger and bigger jobs, and I remember there was one contract that I that I got where, um. You know, I, I was always used to doing you know slash twenty fours, you know two hundred fifty six IPs, spend a, a week and a half on it, bang on things, and you know call it a day. But the, this this other one, um, you know, it was over two hundred thousand IP addresses, and so we had to figure out how do we scale everything that we're doing because you know the the tools of that time period, you know this this is the same era in, in Map was around already. We we had Scan Rand that was coming out with Dan Kaminsky. Uh, which was great novel concept, but um, it had memory corruption errors that it would, it would core dump at inopportune times. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, we had to, we had to figure out ways that we could build our own tooling so that we could scale. And not not only that, but like this, this also the time period where nobody knew how to scan for UDP ports. You know, with, with TCP, it's pretty straightforward. You Mm -hmm. you send a send packet, you get a send act back and you're like, okay, cool. That, that port responded. Mm -hmm. Um, so with UDP, if you send something and you get nothing back, meaning no ICMP message telling you that the port is not configured, then the fact that you got no response, you're supposed to interpret as, oh, it must be open.
0: But it might not be open. Well, <laughs> It may the, not exist. <laughs> on the
1: internet, people sometimes use firewalls. Yeah. Um, and and so a no response, equals open is is not an accurate way to, to view it so we we then figured out how to do all the uh the handshakes all the different payloads for common udp things and then we were able to enumerate udp even through firewalls which was somewhat novel uh and that that went into <coughs> that was originally called uh udp scan that, that was that tool and then we added tcp support uh and then we made. Um, unicorn scan out of that because we, we couldn't call it udp scan anymore since it yeah it, it did more than udp
0: right so why why didn't the other big scanning vendor or um i say vendors because kind of they've sort of turned that into that now <clears throat> why didn't they uh adopt that methodology like right out of the gate is it um, they just didn't know to do it is this you just came up with something novel like
1: well i mean th- there are a few there are a few different folks that were that were pushing the envelope here uh, like I said I, Dan Kaminsky uh, was one of the first that I saw doing this this sort of um, asynchronous way of where, where you have one system that is enumerating it's it's basically sending the send packets and then you have another system that is specifically trying to look at the responses um, and and by splitting it up you can you essentially send as the response IP address. You're kind of spoofing here. So mm-hmm. in in some of our our systems, we had three or four systems working as a quorum, even though the systems that we were talking to only saw it as one IP address. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part that we were able to do that was a little bit different than the the, the typical just in map, where it's just trying to say who, who gave us a syn ack. Is after we got the syn ack back, we'd send a, an ack payload with something in in the in the packet with it so for example um, I could do a not just a three-way socket connection for for HTTP but I could do a head request and so what that then turned into is I was able to send payloads get responses back and then I was able to log them into a Postgres SQL server mm-hmm. and and so
0: for querying against user agents or uh, yeah, whatever
1: yeah so we got to the point this is again 2003 era. we got to server the server po-
0: headers rather is what I meant
1: Precisely. We, yeah. we, we got to the point in 2003 where we were scanning the entire internet on port 80, like the, the entire IPv4 internet mm-hmm. on port 80 in less than 24 hours. Mm. Uh, and this was only possible by, by splitting up the workload uh, the, the way we did. But then it was really fun because then we could do SQL select statements. That, like any time that there was a new uh, vulnerability, you know, CBE type thing that they came out, we could say this percentage of the internet is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So
0: I remember there was a brief moment when you and Fyodor and uh, Robert Graham were having a bit of a I don't know, imbroglio or whatever. Uh <laughs> having a little bit of a fight about like what the best design of this thing is, and I seem to remember you having some of the strongest arguments for how things had to change.
1: Yeah, and and, and I would say ultimately, you know, the best ideas have won out and and I I'm seeing some of the ideas that we were pushing with unicorn scan live on in like mass scan and, mm-hmm. and even inmap has adopted some parts of it. Like we, one, one of the other things that we do with the unicorn scan that was uh, different than the norm is we would allow you to set a, uh, a rate a, at which you wanted to send the packets. So you, you had some predictability in how fast you're going to scan a remote network or a remote host. And instead of, Thinking in terms of one IP address at a time in the assessment, we were thinking of the entire block. Um, so that that part was interesting. <clears throat> we we also had the ability to to control explicitly the the retries and a bunch of other little things like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was basically a, it was a tool built for us by us. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it solved our need. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I I know the kind of the major innovation was the moving away or moving towards virtual ports. <clears throat> like the, that was the big change that happened. I don't know, probably uh, 10 years back now. And suddenly, instead of having to have an actual open port that's actually listening, you just put everything in promiscuous mode. And if anything bounced back at you, you'd be like, oh, the <clears throat> there was a, it responded back. And the, and the reason you knew that that was corresponding to the thing that you were sending is because you set a flag and said, okay, here's my you know, here's my initial sequence number. Here's this very particular number associated with it. Yeah. So, so you th- could send more than 65,000 open connections because there was no connections at all.
1: Right. Yeah. We, we got past the, 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 the normal constraints that you would have otherwise had. It's, it's a sin cookie concept, but mm-hmm. in reverse right. essentially. Right. Um, but yeah, that, and that led us to other really interesting discoveries. Um, you know, cause like I said, we were scanning the entire internet, um, every day and, Occasionally we would take a break, and we would say that's really interesting that these hosts over here are still talking to us four five seven days after we stopped talking to them what? yeah they, Why? Uh, well they they were <laughs> they were stuck <laughs> really in bad buffers or something they were stuck in a forever <clears throat> loop where they they just kept sending responses to us and and uh you know it it took some debugging later to to really understand what was what was going on but it, depending on the uh, the kernel and the, in the TCP IP implementation uh, we really were finding uh, conditions where they, they were in a forever loop and until the, the system was rebooted, it would keep talking to us. Um, and so, you know, Jack, uh, Jack, like lo- an
0: amplification attack right there.
1: <clears throat> yes. Although that's, that wasn't really the point of it. The, the real exploit, uh, opportunity that, that we thought was interesting is we, we could essentially take systems of this type offline. We could get them to exhaust all their resources until they just can't communicate anymore. And, and you, you would have to reboot them before they could so continue. So now you're
0: talking about Sockstress. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so Sockstress, from my perspective, is probably the most interesting thing we're going to talk about today. And that's saying something because we're talking a lot of interesting stuff today. So, You got in a lot of trouble about this. Um, I would say the internet uh, community, our our little world, they were all up in arms for about two weeks because of you. Like No one would shut up about it.
1: Yeah, I I remember having a a call with Dan and and a couple other folks and, just trying to like, I and I would give them. I gave them the source code. I'm like, They're, we're we're not trying to pull punches here. We're we're not hiding the ball at all.
0: I didn't realize you gave out the source code. Interesting. Oh, for sure,
1: because I I didn't any anyone who's like this isn't real. It's like it kind of is here. Play with it, you know. Um, because that the point wasn't to to <clears throat> sit on a problem like we we talked about it at a conference because we had previously been trying to reach out to all the companies that we knew were vulnerable and nobody would talk to us. Nobody would give us any response whatsoever. Um, so when, when you're like, I'm pretty sure this is a problem and, and the companies are ignoring you at a certain point, you're like, okay, well, I, I guess they're cool with this talking about it. So we did. And then all of a sudden there was a consortium of like 17 different worldwide major companies that I was on weekly conference calls mm-hmm. with. Um, so, for those who
0: have no idea what we're talking about here, <clears throat> effectively with this code, you would be able to take down things that run T C P I P. Yes. Which is literally everything.
1: Yes. If, if you, if you look up the, the CVE for this, it's um
0: Yeah. Vulnerability in TCP IP. (laughs) It it
1: shows all the the different operating systems. And it's kind of funny to to see the list enumerated because it's everything.
0: It's everything. Yeah. And part of what I I think you got, people got upset for two completely different reasons. Kind of, but at the same time, they're all conflated, right? The first is that you just released this thing and what, you know, you should have quietly worked the vendors and never tell anyone about it. But like you, as you said, you're having a hard time getting people to even talk to you at all. Yeah. So I don't know that reasoning never resonated with me. And then the second one is people were like, you yeah, know, he says he can take down data centers. Like that's absolute horseshit and you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I remember having a conversation with you. I don't know, maybe two or three weeks later or something. And I'm like, yeah, you got, you got in a lot of trouble about that particular set of words. And I'm like, what, why did you choose that? He's like, and you said something to, back to me. You're like, Robert, how do you think we found this thing in the first place? <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: accidentally took down a data center. <laughs> that, that actually happened in the middle of a, of, of a pen test. Um, you know, they, they they that particular company that we were testing, I'm not going to say which one it was, but um, their U.S. operations failed over to, like, Ireland and then failed over to Australia, and then we, we started getting really panicked phone calls, like, what the heck is going on? Um. And uh, yeah, I even alluded to it, I, I think, in, in uh, the 2005 DEF CON the <clears throat> unicorn scan talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, there was a particular vendor that, um, their ability to detect what they consider to be a DDoS attack is their, their mitigation was to just fall over dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <clears throat> was it prolexic? <laughs> no, 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 uh, no, no, okay, no, no. Jeez, thank god they kind of hold the internet together from a denial service perspective anyway.
1: Yeah, no, per- Perlexic was one of, one of my other uh, early partners. We, we, we helped um, channel customers to them. Bear, Bear That's Line right. has, uh, <clears throat> has made a couple of really great products.
0: So wh- what was the premise? Like why did it work in the first place?
1: I can, we can go in, in, in details later in, no, in no. the source code if you want. No, no,
0: no. I meant like, um, for the layman, just kind of like, what well, the, was what was the technique approximately?
1: The the dumbest attack, the 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 one that uh, even Fyodor guessed about because you know he obviously he's a brilliant person he knows everything about TCPA as well and, and, and so he before we went public with with all the findings he guessed what one of the attacks was and it's it's uh, because
0: Suxus was like seven or something different attacks
1: right uh-huh. yeah because yeah. it, it was it was a framework that knew how to send. TCP packets, and then we knew different payloads that worked really well against certain types of TCP implementations.
0: Right. Right. Um, And from memory, um, this all came about because you guys were reading the TCP IP stack, and there was a bunch of, like, comments in there or something. Yeah,
1: in the Linux kernel specifically, there was one that's like, it would be really bad if this condition happened. And we're like, ooh, we should figure out how to make that condition Uh, happen. (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh but the 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 dumb one the generic one and the reason why i call it dumb is because uh, you have to keep sending packets to it for for the um for that system to continue to have its uh, resources exhausted but um if you essentially tell it that there's no more buffer you're like hey I, uh, first you have to request something really big. You, you, you were playing with some of this with like slower. Yeah, slow, sl- yeah, slow Yeah, slow uh, where you where you try to find like a PDF or some sizable thing on their side and you say, give me the whole thing, but give it to me in such small p- packets as possible that it's going to take all your bandwidth. And, and then what we did on top of that is we could even say, oh, stop. I'm, I'm out of memory right now. You, you can't talk to me right now. Stop, stop. And you just, as long as you occasionally say stop, it will mind your request mm. indefinitely.
0: So it's kind of like a UDP congestion message or something. Interesting.
1: Yeah. And so there were those types of dumb things, but but, the, but the other ones were um, understanding how it did memory page layout and making sure that the way it was crafting the TCP packets was not aligned to how the, the rest of the kernel uh, memory was, was aligning. And so when, when you can find those mismatches, then you can cause the kernel to just basically lock up.
2: Mm.
0: So what what are the implications of being able to take down data centers? Because even if this particular attack is mitigated, the threat that there might be another thing down the road that could do something equally bad still exists. So what, what I mean, you must have thought through what what would happen if someone went on, you know, a spree and decided to start taking down data centers. Have you thought I'm, through
1: I'm, that? I'm, I'm sure we'd, we'd, we'd figure out other, other ways. Like, you know, we're very permissive. Uh, on the on the internet like we we have a default allow people to talk to us you know at a certain point you you would just have to be a lot more selective about who you want to talk to you and have mutual authentication so instead of having a a completely anonymous uh ability that would take
0: a long time robert i mean that's a forklift upgrade if i've ever heard one
1: sure but i mean we've been we've been talking about these concepts forever and you know google finally a few years back in their beyond corp they're they they nailed this concept, at least at the enterprise level, where they're like, yeah, it's great that you're authenticating the user. Why don't we authenticate the device they're coming from too? You know, so that this, this concept in trusted security has been around a long time. We just yeah. never really did it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not super hopeful about that one.
0: And and you mentioned Dan Kaminsky, RIP, uh, multiple times. I think that Dan Kaminsky, the Kaminsky bug, um, which he's very famous for, um, which was able to guess the sequence number for DNS responses and therefore spoof that um, effectively I am the real person who should be responding to this request and get you to reroute traffic to me, which is terrible for all kinds of reasons. Um, That bug still exists. I mean, it's harder now, but it's still there.
1: I I occasionally will play with Sock Stress and still get it to work on systems, but you know, you... You at least now with the major operating systems, you know, the, the, the things from Cisco and Microsoft and, and even Linux, there are ways you can tune the kernel to be less vulnerable.
0: Can. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but when, when you really think about it, like if, if you look at the CIA triad, you know, confidentiality, integrity, availability, availability is always the, the, the caveman option. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is the least... Interesting. The the only time that I I care at all about availability issues is, is when you use it as an effective distraction,
0: or or for um, a lot of scammers use it to take you down and then the, pay me some money or, or I'm going to keep you down sort of situation. Blackmail. Well, sure,
1: that's 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 the blackmail stuff that that Barrett Lyon with Prolexic was was solving specifically. You know, because they they would have uh, you know casinos and porn sites, you know, all all the all the normal types of companies that are legitimately making money, but aren't necessarily wanting to call the cops for help. Um, th- those were the companies that were getting targeted there. In, again, in that 2003, 2005 mm-hmm. time period, very heavily where they'd get anonymous email from a Yahoo account that says, give us $50,000 to this account or you're offline. And then it's a, it's a quick, you know, back of the envelope calculation. I'm losing this much money per day. They're only asking for this much. Do we pay them? Um, but A lot of people did. A lot of people did.
0: A lot of people did. So, um, So what do you, I mean, I don't think that there's going to be a a quick fix to any of the things we just described. That's a real fix. I think what they're going to do is they're going to put it back and the onus is going to be on you. It's like, well, you should have configured this way, but literally there's hundreds of thousands of machines spread out all over the place and all kinds of data centers. And half the people who used to run these things are no longer working in that job. And it's just been sitting there purring for 10 years and yeah, no, no
2: one's going to reconfigure their stuff.
1: So the, the larger sites, are, I, I think, are going to be much harder to attack just because they are, they're so globally multi-homed. And so I might be able to take off parts of the access for some people for some amount of time, but to cause a true global outage for like an Amazon or, or you know, any, any other company of their size. I don't know that that's, that's realistic with this sort of attack.
0: It's funny. I think it's incredibly easy. The bigger you are, the easier it is to take you down. Not for the reasons that most people. No, going straight through the front door. Yeah, I think you're right. But they're so interconnected with so many subsystems. All you have to do is take one down. Oh,
1: there's there's definitely points that you could attack, but it, it yeah. wouldn't be TCP in that case.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. It, it might be other things. Sure, yeah. but but um, I, I've definitely seen it like you know they'll pull out some jQuery something something or whatever, but it's from some CDN that they stood up and. Yeah, it's great at serving up just this one static file, but you hammered that thing, and and yes, the site's still up, but it's unusable.
1: Right, because it it might be calling on um, on to cache somewhere. Right. Yeah. right.
0: yeah. Exactly. So I'm I'm always very wary when people say, "Well, it's like oh, we're all this you know cached blah blah blah." Yeah, but I can also attack caching servers too. And the, I mean, and if you cache the wrong thing, like woof. Uh, and you can cache things like too aggressively where you're caching things that you didn't mean to cache and then you're caching things that you're responding to things that shouldn't have cached at all and and it's a big mess. So Mm -hmm. I remember one of the attacks we came up with years ago was basically a man in the middle attack, which is not very interesting to me for the most part, except to show how bad things really can be and we were able to set cookies, which is not particularly useful. Like, who gives a crap if you can set a cookie? You know, what, what, what does that matter? Unless it's replaying it somehow in the in the HTTP header or something. It's not particularly useful. So, there were some session fixation problems. There's a couple other things. But one of the things I could do is I could set very long cookies. And when you went to a certain resource, it would say, whoa, 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 this HTTP header is way too long. I'm not going to serve up this content anymore. Mm. So, that. Page Whatever it is, maybe it's a piece of JavaScript that might be the thing that's keeping you secure, you can no longer reach. And so it just goes away permanently until you clear your cookies. Uh, And it's not something the server can really fix very easily. You know what I mean? Like, they have to change it so their buffers are larger. And they're not even going to notice it's a problem. And, like, everyone is just not secure now who got this cookie set. Um, Mm. And so there's a lot of things kind of like that. But um, anyway... Big digression there. I wanted to talk a little bit about the controversy because there's only two other times I've seen this this kind of controversy uh, where the the security community is like, "What are you doing?" You know, um, one was Kaminsky, as you said. He, he
1: actually wrote a very public, um, not the nicest letter, and I I, <laughs> I, I read that again <laughs> a, a couple of years back. Um, you know, sadly when, when he passed, I was just you know highlighting some of my memories of the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah so I I know what you're talking about mm-hmm.
0: which I actually I felt really bad for him I mean I feel like he he did about as good a job I feel like you and him both did about as good a job as you could have done to maximize the amount of safety um, and still give up the information to the people who need to have it so that they can continue to do research and I'm really surprised no one really took the mantle and did Socrus too um, I think it's inevitable somebody oh, somebody, somebody should yeah i,
1: know. Um, yeah. I yeah, that source goes out on the internet. <laughs> I, I found it. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, so the other one was clickjacking, um, which you know me and Jeremiah Grossman got uh, kind of um, messed up in, and that one was um, a little bit our fault because we're like, okay, we're going to le- uh, launch it on this day. We're going to talk about this day. And so we were kind of hyping it up to come check it out. And then Adobe came to us and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Please don't. Please do not do this. Like you, you found an O-Day in our stuff. and we're like, no, we didn't. And like, yes, absolutely. we were supposed to stop what you're doing. And you didn't realize you found this massive problem. I mean, we knew it was a massive problem, but we didn't realize they were actually trying to defend against it. Mm. We just thought it was a massive problem. They never thought of, which is kind of different. Right. Sure. But they're like, no, no, no. Actually, this is something you found a way around some crazy security we thought we had or whatever. so the internet was pretty annoyed with us for a couple of weeks while they went off and tried to find a patch for that thing. Um, but why do you think the security community gets so up in arms about stuff like this? Like what, what is it about this type of <clears throat> disclosure that gets their hackles up?
1: Well, nobody likes to be outside of the you know, the secret, the, the, the inside, uh, knowledge. Like as as soon as somebody says there's a problem here, we all want to prove it. We all want to test our own systems. We, we, we want to see if we can come to the same conclusion, the same answer. Is this repeatable, you know, to, to borrow from the scientific community, if somebody makes an outrageous claim and you in your lab can't repeat it, it's, it's hard for you to take that claim seriously. And and I th- and I think if you don't give enough details where somebody else really can go and replicate it, if if you don't have the proof of concept ready to go, uh, then then people, I I, that, I think that's where the the, the annoyance came from. And remember, from the eighties and nineties, it was common to just give the source code to your proof of concept at the same time that you made any announcement at all. And
0: most of the time, I did. Right, I, I didn't care. Just to yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Unless, unless it was really, really targeted towards one company or something, and then I might let them know specifically if I thought they were good actors. Yeah. Not Google. Never Google. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, I miss Dan Kaminsky. Um, yeah. Boy, that, that was a big loss. We, um, he died uh, last year, I think. it's a full year ago now. Not Maybe not quite. Um, I remember you and he and I went to dinner one time at DEF CON, and it was sort of the the people who break the internet club. Um, and I think uh, Sammy was there too. Uh, no, not that particular one. Or maybe he was earlier. Maybe he was earlier and maybe he left. He was but, on the
1: conference floor that year though. Oh, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. No, yeah. And actually, he maybe he did go to dinner with us. But but at this point in the, my memory, it was just the three of us because we're walking back from dinner. And uh, I remember Dan physically stepped on me because he had the that Google Glass when the very first came out and he was doing this... Uh, this I like color rewriting thing called Dan cam. So, he could, so if you're for, for the colorblind for colorblind yeah. people, so he could, you know, high contrast, but anyway, he's sitting there and the, you know, walking down the casino floor, like testing it out with all these crazy lights and stuff. And he literally steps on me. He like actually physically stepped on me, which to this day kind of makes me laugh. Cause like, this is very altruistic thing he's working on and, uh, and he's literally stepping on me to get there. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, uh, rest in peace, uh, Dan Kaminsky. But we had a couple of, uh, really great conversations. I think the three of us, um, I think there's, um, not many people who've done that kind of thing to, and had that big of an impact to as many people and systems, etc. cetera. Right. I call it the billionaires club.
1: Uh, well, I don't think I, I'm in that club, but uh, yes, you
0: are. What are you talking? Sockstress. Absolutely. You are. What are you talking about? Jesus. Um, really? You don't think so? Come on. You don't think a billion people are safer because of that research.
1: It's, it's mostly Jack anyway. Uh, Jack, Jack Lewis and another, another one that, that, uh, that left too soon. But, um, that was, that was mostly his project. I, I was there when he was doing the discoveries and I, I was his number one product manager and his number one tester. But, you know, that that's Jack's work. Interesting. Well,
0: I definitely put you in the club because you were, you were there. Um, right. You were doing the work, too. You were doing the work. What are you talking about? I remember you talking about it. Sure.
1: He, <laughs> he, he, he wrote the code. Sure.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, well, also, rest in peace, uh, Jack. But we've had a, a bunch of uh, deaths here pretty recently. Uh, also, James Flom, um, who I know is uh, one of the reasons you're here. Uh, my best friend, as a matter of fact. A uh, real mess. So, rest in peace to our friends, our comrades. We're getting um, old, man. Yeah, we sure are. Um, so, one of the things I want to talk about with this, um, in this era, right around this time when all this is going down, I remember I was over at your house one day back when we were both living in California, and uh, you you had uh, what I felt to be a very confusing view of white hat versus black hat. And I was just like, what the hell are you talking about? Where, to, me, to me, it seemed like it was flipped around. It's so like black hats. They're always like going behind the scenes and finding O days and, and never telling anybody. And you're like, no, or, or, uh, and then doing full disclosure and messing up companies. You're like, no, 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 it's the other way around. They're, uh, I can't remember how you phrased it, but you were basically like saying the opposite is true where white hats are the people who are off protecting things and not telling anybody how they did it. And black hats are the ones who are off actually exploiting things and uh, finding
1: vulnerabilities. Well, the, the, the reason why I came to that conclusion is because of like, you know, the e-zines and, and you know, the, the websites that just lets you download working exploits. And, and so I, I, I never really saw that coming from the white hats. I only saw that coming from, you know, the black hats were at, at least a gray hat, somebody kind of in the middle. Um, but I, I really valued the people who uh, did it for the lulls. You know, the, the the folks that were breaking things because they could, they weren't, they didn't have like the profit margin. They, they weren't trying to be famous. They're just like, oh, this thing that you really care about that's supposed to be super secure, like SSH, cool, what happens when we do this? Or, you know, the patchy nose job. That's an, that's another one of my, my favorite uh, exploits that, that, that came out. It's like people who say that they're super secure, when, when when FreeBSD, or sorry, OpenBSD, anytime OpenBSD had a vulnerability back in the day, that was that was just extra funny. Yeah, because you, you <laughs> know, he be, tries
0: so hard to keep it secure. That's right.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had a lot of respect. What was, for that,
0: what was that guy's name? Uh, I'm spacing on the guy who runs it.
1: Oh, I would recognize it if I heard yeah,
0: it. Yeah, I was spacing on it. Um. Yeah, I agree. Well, we'll get, we'll get to the industry and and how it's changed in a bit. Um, but one of the, one of the things about Soxtress, uh before we move on, um, that was that tool and the situation inspired me to um, go back and actually start building slow lures. because. You've been talking about like kind of these slow attacks and you know very minimal amount of HTTP or. or I specifically a remember
1: a, a Vegas taxi ride with you, and I, I think it was after that taxi ride that that you ended slow slow Loris.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've been thinking about it for probably ten years. At that point, it's been in the back of my head as like I know I could do this, I know it would work, but I'd never actually sat down to actually program. Is it, it's, it's kind of the way of. Many of the things I work on, they, they percolate, they just sit there forever and I don't have time for them. And so yeah. they kind of sit there and then one day I'm bored or I like, I finally unlock the one last thing and I'm like, okay, now I can actually go do this thing. But, uh, the, it was kind of similar to what you're talking about. Just, uh, very slowly send HTTP headers, just like, like, hello, I'm trying to reach the thing. And then the <laughs> it just very slowly trickled this HTTP header out. And the system just like okay yeah it'll any day now and it's all happy and just sitting there and ready to go as soon as you're ready it's ready, and you do that you know on average most of the Apache instances are 256 uh, open connections they'll support but usually yeah. usually people will tune it up to a thousand, so you, you make it a thousand and one let's say, and mm-hmm. uh, suddenly you've just exhausted all the ports and so. Um, one of the cool things that's unique about this particular attack as opposed to taking down uh, other things well two things that are unique one is that you can turn it off instantly. So it's not like really down down it's just down while you're using it so you can immediately turn it back on which is cool. The other thing that was cool is I can reuse the sockets. So if I want to be the only person on the machine, I can get rid of all of the other traffic, which is really cool for like certain types of attacks where I really need like all of the I need the system to calm down. And get to a baseline where I can I can get timing attacks more accurate. Um, like maybe I'm trying to see if something's truly sequential and it's a little dirty because there's too many people hitting the box. Like get rid of all the other traffic and really see if it's sequential or not. And there's all these like kind of things you can you can do more easily when everyone else is off the box. Or let's say it's like a uh, it's like an auction clearinghouse. I just knock everyone off during the final. You know, minutes of the uh, of the auction, and now I get the final bid, whatever it's going to be. I am it
1: because there's no one left on the box. Yeah, you see what I'm saying. You just reminded me of uh, remember on on FNet they used to have those poker pots, and you could you could be in a in a in a room and play poker against people. That, mm-hmm. that was one of my favorite things to do: is bluff like crazy. and You get to the final round, then uh, then you can just TCP nuke, <laughs> 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 and then you win all the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Sorry. It's very it. similar. Yeah.
0: It is very similar, except I don't know who the other people are in this case. Right. I have no idea. I don't know where they are. I don't know anything about them. All I know is this machine and you could do, uh, there's two types of auctions. There's the one where you want to bid high um, because the highest bidder wins. That's like the eBay type auction, but there's also like government auctions where the lowest bidder is the one that wins. So you just knock people off who are about to submit their low bid. Try to undercut you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it was pretty cool tech, um, but uh, I want to thank you because you inspired me to actually do it. I'm like, yeah, I've been meaning to do this for a very long time. and So, yeah, that was cool. So you eventually sold Dyad, um, and one of the cool parts about selling Dyad at that time is I think you might have been one of the very first security exits, period. Like, very, very early. I mean, maybe there was half a dozen others before you or something. It was not very many.
1: It was, it was, it was an accidental thing anyway um i don't i don't know if you remember this time in my my life i i was going through some uh personal changes um and i ended up making a friend uh well was a mutual friend of ours for 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 a while Uh, david jacoby Mm -hmm. uh and and he invited me to go hang out in sweden that year for new year's and so i said what the heck i've never been to sweden why not and i get out there and i end up um we had a great time of course just meeting his, his uh, family and friends, but then I met his boss and his boss asked me, you know, to, to hear more about Dyad and what we were doing. And he got really intrigued. And so Albus 24 was uh, a vulnerability assessment company as well, but they, they, they had an online SaaS play for it. And after a couple of days of talking to him, he, he basically offered me, uh, offered to purchase the company. Well, well, first he offered me a job. I said, no, thank you, I've, I've got a company. He's like, well, how about I buy your company? And I laughed it off uh, until he made a serious offer. And uh, about six months later, uh, myself and a bunch of uh, m- my closest friends moved to Sweden.
0: How cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool because you got an exit. It's cool he got an exit on a penetration testing company with basically no tech. I mean, he had a little bit of
1: tech. <laughs> we had very little bit of tech. But, yeah. but, but, we, but not... We had, we had open source intellectual property that was not revenue generating. <laughs> <laughs> and um,
0: i even know that's not tech <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was clearly that you guys were the smart guys so i'm glad that they saw that too and i'm sure that they were looking at their products and features and like oh you could add value here here and here and here right yeah. um but it's fairly unheard of to buy to aqua hire people it's i mean or at minimum to do so with absolutely garbage multiples. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, it's very unusual to pay for that for reals. Usually it's one times earnings. You know, it's garbage. Yeah. So what was that like? What was the, what was that like getting acquired and moving to Sweden and, it, and becoming part of a machine?
1: It was wild. Um, there, there's so many parts of it that of course are going to be a cultural shock. New yeah. language, new food, new money, new, new working patterns. Like, you know, you, you, you come into the office. I'm, I'm used to American go, go, go. I had been, three years in a row, I've been working 16 hours a day with no vacation. You know, mm-hmm. that, that was just how I did things. And I get there and, you know, people roll in at nine if you're lucky. And, and you know, from nine to 9.30, you eat cake and you eat, you drink coffee. And then at three o'clock, you do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so you spend, and then you go to the sauna. That's right. So you spend an hour a day fika. Uh-huh. Which is uh, cake and coffee. Uh-huh. And, and uh, yeah, so it was, it was wild. You know, learn, learn You got to
0: have a log life, right? Uh, yeah. It's like in the middle. Not too much, not, not too, too little. Not too Perfect, much. right in the middle. That's yeah. Right.
1: Um, but, but there was a lot of fun that we had there. We, we, we redid their, um, the back end of all of their technology because they were, this was the land of Ness's front ends, mm-hmm. if you remember that time period, back, sure back when Ness was just fully open source and, and anybody could throw a front end on it and, and charge, charge money on top. So we had to rewrite Nessus from scratch uh, so that we could get out out of the, because uh, they, they started charging for their, their license fees. That was, that was part of the reason why we got acquired, because we, we had the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, we, we helped build that up. You know, when, when we got acquired, we had offices in four countries. By the time I left, we were in 25 countries. Uh, so it was, it was a wild time period for me, because I, I think I was home on average eight days out of the month. Um, I would regularly wake up in hotels and can't remember which country I'm in.
0: Wait, which, which, where was home in this context? Was it Sweden? Uh, yeah. And,
1: and I had a house in Sweden at that point. uh uh-huh, Okay. Yeah.
0: I remember you living out there for a brief period, but, uh.
1: It was about, th- about three years.
0: Was it that long? Wow. Yeah. Oh, jeez, Time has flied. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was just like six months or something. Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, weird. I see, cause I would see you at a conference. So I just.
1: Uh... I, I was at every conference. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, that was fun like um, yeah you, you and, and uh, Jeremiah Grossman I, Jeremiah Grossman I think I've had drinks with him in Australia obviously in America uh, in in uh, Dubai mm-hmm. uh, and I think in Europe as well so mm-hmm. like I, that's like four four continents I've had drinks <laughs> with him on
0: yeah I don't think we've gotten there yet uh, but I feel like I've had probably more drinks with you since he doesn't really drink very much but <laughs> yeah I had to
1: force him to drink that one time in San Diego, if yeah. you remember. Yeah. Oh,
0: jeez, I remember that night. Yeah. That is a whole different <laughs> ball of wax. We won't go into that night at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a great night. Um, so one of the other things that I remember you guys coming up with, I think it was, now you were up 24 when this came about, was the context, uh, concept of going horizontal and vertical. So it's like, Let's say you have a port and you find a port and you're like, okay, and let's say it's 80 or something. Okay, now I'm going to try 80 everywhere. And if I find 80 anywhere, now I'll go vertical until I see if there's anything above it or below it. Oh, I found 443. Now I'll go horizontal again. And, and you just kind of kind of keep going back and forth.
1: Yeah, like you, you can you can find, you, you can start querying some of the well-known ports. And, and as soon as you get a response on any IP, you can look for more of the same. Because mm-hmm. it's it, the... That's usually what happens. Is if if they're the type of shop that runs software X, they're they're going to run multiple instances of it.
0: Yeah, that, I thought that was really clever because it's like we know that this because typically when you're doing port scans, it's either all or nothing. You know what yeah. I mean? You're all sixty five thousand ports, or maybe the most common ports, top you know ten twenty four, but that's it, and no intelligence whatsoever. But this was a way to get I wouldn't say fully comprehensive. It's not the all. But it's definitely more than the, the the minor version of it.
1: But then also, like any time you found a host that had any port open, then we also did the full 65k on yeah, that. You, but IP.
0: but you could yeah. still miss one port randomly on one machine on a weird port.
1: Sure, but if, if you start with like the, the thousand, no, most no, I likely, get you, I yeah. get you, okay, I, I'm yeah. on your side on yeah. this one. Yeah.
0: Um, I, th- I think I um, think that was really clever and innovative—a way to scan less to get more.
1: Yeah, uh, we, we could we could produce results in the user interface faster with this method, and then it would continue to it would continue to dig, even after we started displaying things. But it turns out users just they they don't like sitting there waiting with nothing shown. Mm-hmm. So the faster you can show them things, the the the, the more trust they have in your tool.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is eventually what we did with Bit Discovery. I mean, we had all of the data already there, so you just you know you pop open the thing, it's <laughs> there's your yeah. data, you know. So people that was actually one of the best innovations that I think that Lex uh, came up with. And he was the guy who uh, invented the new user experience at Facebook. Mm. Uh, So, you know, very, very good at UI. And he basically said, I don't want people to feel like they're searching. I want them to feel like they're just querying the data that's already in the system. Right. Like even if we have to do stuff behind the scenes in real time, that's okay. But just kind of hide it as much as possible until we've had a chance to collect it. Mm -hmm. And so do everything you can and make it hyper performant on that first lookup. And then, you know, it's like, oh, Keep you, you, it. oh you want this other no. field? Okay, we'll turn it on. Meanwhile, we're going and getting it right now yeah. <laughs> yeah. because we know you're interested in it. You totally. know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, I, I thought that was really clever. Another idea along that same lines, that I think could apply to just about any kind of search interface um, related to like domains, for instance, is like you type in like, you know, Google dot and as soon as you hit that dot you probably mean dot com so just go start the query now um, and if they change it to i oh they probably mean info or they change it and they probably mean net And like okay quickly refresh and start doing that query by the time they hit enter you know move their mouse over to hit enter that's like two or three seconds that you could have shaved off of the lookup time so you can make it basically just up here you already did the lookup now mm-hmm. it's just the presentation layer and like there it is so there's a lot of really cool stuff. There's another one that's like a, I never did this stuff. But I really wanted to, <laughs> you could like, you can predict that they're moving their mouse towards a target. Uh, so it's basically in JavaScript space. You're like watching their mouse move towards a button.
1: You're like, so it's like hotter, 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 colder, yeah. colder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're yeah. like, Oh, 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 oh yeah. they're about
0: to press that button. They're about to. And and so you start doing the fetching now. Cause yeah. you're like, oh, 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 I can pretty much tell they're going Un-click there. Statistically speaking. Yeah, yeah. It's going there. They haven't done it yet, but they're about to. And so you can preload it. So by the time they click it, it's literally just refreshing the the text on the page. has already done the lookup mm. in the background. It's already there and it's in your browser now. It's just waiting to be refreshed. Mm. So it's instantaneous from your perspective, despite the fact it took a full second to do the lookup. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was really clever. Um, so a bunch of stuff like that, but um, I, I like that horizontal and vertical thing because I think that it's that kind of thinking that, like dramatically speeds up the web in general, you know what I mean, and it's also that kind of thinking that makes it very kludgy and and shitty and fucked up and brittle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think is the way I think of it. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So at this point, you. Um, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but at one point, you uh, you went into banking. Uh, (laughs) you made a, you made a big shift, but I know that wasn't a direct move, but
1: yeah, just like everything else, you know, there, there were a couple weird intermediary Mm -hmm. things that happened. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as I was talking about before, um, about the same time period, I, I was, I was on vacation in, in, uh, in America, my little brother had just finished his master's and, and, uh, he was doing a recital uh, UCLA, and he asked me to to play um, on, on his master's performance. So I I played for that and uh, Jens Linderman, wonderful world famous trumpet player. He he offered me a scholarship to to go to UCLA. I was like, what the heck? No, wow. you know I'm, I'm I'm working. Thanks, you know. Um, and, but on the drive back, hey, how did he find you? Well, because he was my brother's uh, trumpet professor at Yeah, but UCLA. how did he
0: find you? I mean, th- did you perform for him or something?
1: Y- yeah, I, I played on my brother's uh, recital, his master's recital. Just for fun or...? Well, well, yeah, my entire family's musical. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so right. my, my, my older sister has a, a doctorate on clarinet. My This brother um, that I was telling a story about, he's now the professor of trumpet. Uh, he was at the University of Florida. Now he's a professor of trumpet at BYU. So he's very good. He also has a doctorate. Huh. Um, my little sister plays clarinet. I, I played French horn. Now I play a little bit of everything, but you know, French horn was the one that I went to, went to school for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I ended up playing and, and we, we got to talking. It was another one of the, it reminded me kind of of, of the Sweden situation where the, an offer is made. I'm like, yeah, yeah no. And, but on the drive back, because um, I was with my dad, we were driving back up to Utah uh, before I was going to head back to Sweden. I get a phone call um, from the founder of outpost 24 and he asked me to pull over and uh, that that's how I was informed. Uh, the Jack had passed. Oh. Um, and so at that point, um, you know, I, I needed to take a year off and, uh, so I did, I took a sabbatical, um, and I ended up going to UCLA for a year, uh, just to refresh my head and, and remember why I'm doing this. Um, but, yeah, and in that time period it it gave me a moment's reflection of a, a pause, if you will, where while I loved breaking things while I, there there's a thrill of finding a new o day um you know it's not it's it's tedious it's in in a little bit it's unrewarding because every company that hired us we we did successfully break in, and yeah, after a while too. after a while, you get a pattern of everybody has similar problems, and you get a little bit bored with telling the same story okay i found this thing you got to do this thing to fix it and and nobody ever does and you're just like what is this for it, it,
0: yeah why, it, why are you doing this why are you putting yourself through it?
1: it it felt a little bit like a being a boxer getting paid to punch people in the face and you're like it, it's gonna hurt and you're not gonna learn anything from it
0: yeah yeah so you you make money doing this it yeah. so someone is paying you for it but they don't want to know what you're telling them actually. They think they do until they see it. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, yeah. why whoa. did you do this? Yeah, why, why did you do this? And yeah. so now you're kind of in this weird gray area where you're yeah. like, do I try to like pet your ego to get more business out of you or, or do I just keep it? Well,
1: like- I, I never had like, I've heard horror stories. I've heard tons of horror stories. Th- I've got a few. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I never actually had that. It was never adversarial. Mm. The, the the only time that it got weird was uh one, really never well not directly with the company that hired me the the weirdest one it, it was we found a vulnerability in their one of their top vendors and again i'm not going to name names but this vendor adamantly said the finding that you have is not real and so then then the the company that hired us was like you know stuck in the middle they're like you're saying it's a problem they're saying it's not and I said, well, let's meet with them. I'm happy to demonstrate it live. And we did. And then they're like, yep, it's real. And uh, so that was the weirdest that it was. But it, it, again, with, with all things, data trumps opinion. So that's always going to be true.
0: Yeah, but that's not how it plays out. Uh, how it plays out is people are going to get fired and they know it. And so they're ah. protecting everything and like trying to make it hard for you to deliver the results and downplaying it and making it it's like yes this is truly it is a vulnerability but they downplay how bad it is we
1: gave a couple talks on this um over the years but i i talk about it as like the mindset of hiring hiring a company to come do tests like this it's you need to not think of it as an adversary you need to think of it like a doctor's checkup you know because like if, if you go into the doctor and he's trying to or whoever the doctor is, is, is hitting your knee and trying to measure reflexes and you're stiff as a board on purpose so that you don't give any response at all. That's not going to be an effective checkup. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so bad actors have an unlimited amount of resources and an unlimited amount of time. You're paying me whatever you're paying me, you know, let's call it, you know, 10, 20, $30,000, whatever the assessment is, you're, you're paying me a fixed amount of money for a fixed amount of time. And I'm going to do my best in that time but you're going to get a lot more for your money if you work with me. Um, and so we, we always had that conversation up front so that, you know, I'm not here to make you look bad. I'm, I'm here to make you better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that, that was the way I got ahead of that.
0: Yeah. It, it, I, I tried something quite similar, but one of the weird, I'm surprised, really surprised you've never run into this um, because as a small company, we got brought in at least probably 10 times total for this purpose you're a small company, perfect. You won't find anything. And mm-hmm. we would just absolutely crush these companies, like mm-hmm. really bad. Like re- I mean, I'll tell you some stories offline, but um and then they're like, What the fuck did you just do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like absolutely blindsided by this, you know, this chaos that I've just brought into their lives. And in some cases, I mean I've cost them maybe hundreds of millions of dollars that they're going to have to go like they In thought best, yeah. they thought that they were this and they're not that mm-hmm. at all and and everything they've just done done for the last 4 years has been a waste and <clears throat> now it's like a massive I mean unbelievably bad situation and so now what am what am I good as, I'm not trying to make them look bad but I am trying to do my job mm-hmm. I don't know how to deliver that news (laughs) that everything you've done for the last four years has been absolutely garbage in a way that's going to sound palatable even if I'm on their side because they weren't expecting it. They're expecting to get a clean bill of health because we're a small little company.
2: Mm.
0: So it's expectation setting. I don't know how to make myself look like I'm going to absolutely destroy you ahead of time because (laughs) what's going to end up happening is they'll, They'll err on the other side. They'll go like, oh, well, we don't want that guy because we're what we're really looking for is some tiny little company who doesn't know what they're the, doing the, and give us a clean bill of health. If
1: they're looking for a, ch- a checklist audit, if they're looking to to say, yep, we had a test, um, that's not sincere.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I would say that happened quite a few times.
1: That's unfortunate. <laughs> I, uh, all, I, all I can say is I, I've, I've been very lucky then because I, I, um, I never really had... That scenario. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. Knock on wood, man, because <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um. Okay. So you took a year off. Yeah. Uh, how'd you get into banking?
1: Um. Funny enough, uh, I, I was. So I I, may, I had that aha moment. Like maybe breaking into things isn't where I'm going to have fulfillment. Maybe building things is where I could have more fulfillment. And so I I wanted to get into the world of of you know. Designing controls that are hard to break, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you actually called me uh, when I was after I'd made this conclusion, and you said there's a company that I think needs your help, and uh, you, you made an introduction, did an interview, and and that that's how I got into banking.
0: Mm-hmm. I I remember, but uh, but wh- why? Like what what do you like about blue team versus red team? Like what what got you into that? Well.
1: When you do a test and you find a problem and you say, you should, these are the general ideas that can fix this problem, there's no follow-through. You, you don't get to stick around and actually you know, see them remodel the kitchen. And you don't get to see if that remodeled kitchen makes better food. You know. So when you are a product manager of a banking platform and you have tech shops and you can see certain authentication patterns that are leading to millions of dollars of money being stolen over and over again, you can say, aha, Here is where our our authentication is failing. And here are the things that we can change and experiment with with and see if we lose less money. And so having that freedom to innovate, having that freedom to actually build the controls and stick around and test the results and and see the fruit of your labor, so much more satisfying.
2: Mm.
0: I don't know if I agree with that.
1: Uh, I've done both. I've done (laughs) blue
0: team, I've done red team. No, I'm being completely sincere. I don't know which one's better. I, I think... The thrill of the hunt is really amazing. But as you said, right. it does get a little monotonous and customers are brutal. Like really, I, from my perspective, uh, they've been they've been a mess. But in the case of Blue Team, you're also dealing with corporate bureaucracy, you know, and you're dealing with personalities and it's like, oh, Janice didn't come into work today and she's yeah. got the password or whatever, yeah. and, you know, like all that garbage and, you know, I, I don't know which one is better. Um,
1: for, for me, the way I, I, I got. I certainly think red team is easier. They just have different trade offs, but sure. I yeah, think it's. There's easy. less responsibility. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you get to find the problems and walk away. Mm-hmm. Whereas blue teams, like, you got to fix all the problems. I like harder. to run away, I don't like yeah. to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, the way I, I continued is, is I, I'm still hacking my own stuff you know so no matter who I'm working for I'm I'm constantly still red teaming in a way mm-hmm. but a red team of one and just trying to find holes so that I can then
0: okay that's fair enough
1: fix it then you get some of the thrill
0: of the hunt as that's well. right yeah yeah that's cool uh, yeah I did a little bit of that um, in a couple of different kind of blue team type jobs where I'm just like I'm gonna go and wreck what I'm working on mm-hmm. and th- th- that's fun that is fun I was not asked to do that so I got a little re- reprimand for it but you know in the end, everyone's happy because we're, we're safer. you are still solving problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and they realize what your capabilities really are because mm-hmm. they hired you for one thing and they got something extra. And Bonus. They didn't, they didn't want that, but now <laughs> they, they have it. They didn't know they wanted it. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Okay, all right. So you're in banking. Yeah.
1: Um, how was that? Oh, well, you know, this is where authentication really matters because, you know, this is the difference between people having money and not having money. Um, so it was, it was wild. Uh, you yeah, know, this is, this is the era where banks were still, some of, some of the banks were still authenticating users with four digit numeric only pin codes, um, uh, or, or, you know, equivalent, just like, really, how, how is that going to work out? Cause they, they wanted it to be the same pin as your, your ATM card, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had other banks that were asking you to, as your username, use your social security number as if there's no such thing as man in the middle and you know, like, crazy PII. leakage st- everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you had a lot of fun things like that. Uh, we had other people that were saying things like, well, if you sign in initially with password and a security question, and then we give you a cookie and the next time you sign in, it's password plus cookie. That's MFA. You're like, nope. no, no, <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Uh, so Yeah. Uh, A lot of, lot of education for the industry in, in, in general, but I, I spent a few years um, innovating in that space as well. Like one, one of the most interesting incidents we had uh, obviously being a banking platform, we didn't have customers with money. We, we, we had banks that were our customers and then their customers had money in the bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of, one of the incidents and I always got involved with a really high profile uh, ATO that happened, especially where money was moved. Account takeover. Yeah. Account takeover where, where, where it led to money movement, either wire ACH or some other means Um, over a million dollars were stolen in a single attack. And when we looked at it, we saw that the wire instruction came from the same computing device that we would expect for the controller of that company from the same IP address of that company um, that that user s- said that they had their RSA key token, you know, the OTP generating physical token, and didn't share it with anyone. They're 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 sensible. They 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 didn't seem like the type of person that would be vulnerable to social engineering, or at least standard social engineering. So
0: was it Zeus or something?
1: Yeah, it was, it was like spyeye or something. Um, gotcha. Uh, so we 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 had the machine forensically examined. We did discover malware. And it, as you were alluding to, this, this type of malware is uh, what, what they were calling man in the browser. It's it's similar to the man in the middle technique, except for it's like a, a, a shim living in the security context of your browser. Mm-hmm. And so it can see everything uh, be, between your browser and the system that you think you're interacting with in the clear. And it can also modify it in real time.
0: So then, I mean, you got to be thinking, well, shit, because none of the controls you have are going to work at this point. So... You got to go out of bounds. So you got to do something out of band. You got to do
2: a right. phone call, email. Well, first
1: let's, let's let's talk about how how we were doing authenticating for for this sure. particular user. Yeah. Um, you know, they had to authenticate with a password, which was, which was a strong password. But we even had them tell it to us just to make sure that it was
0: over the phone, obviously. <laughs> no, no, we, we actually, were,
1: yeah, we had a secure means. But um, and then we we um, we also had that that. Uh, OTP, and not just OTP for sign-in, but OTP to also authenticate the wire. So it was, it was password plus two different OTPs. And so I had a, a few different aha moments here, because what, what we realized is that they, they ended up with that second OTP, authenticating a transaction that had different details than what they intended. So you know, I'm, I'm giving hypotheticals here, but if, if they're saying, I, I want to give this routing number, this account number, this amount of money. This software changed it to a different account number, different routing number, different amount of money. Clever. And, and so the bank saw the what the bad actor changed it to. The bank's like, hmm, I should probably authenticate this. And so it asked the malware for an OTP. The, it displayed it to the browser and the user expecting it entered the OTP and they ended up authenticating the wrong transaction. So that's clever. So there were two major. So, so,
0: so in, from the user's perspective, they saying I'm going to want to send a million dollars to my vendor. Yeah. And under the hood, it's like, it's asking for a OTP. They're like, okay, yep, yeah, here it is. But they said, okay, I'm going to send this to Nigeria or whatever, yeah. Um and maybe it's more than a million dollars even, or whatever.
1: Yeah, um, basically all the money in the account. All, yeah, whatever yeah. you got, yeah.
0: because it can see everything you can see in the browser.
1: Yeah, and it, it also knows how much money you have in your account.
0: But more importantly, it can also replay different information back to you.
1: Though it's the coolest part, is it, it could even display a, a confirmation screen for the amount and, and the information that you input. So until you go use a non-compromised computing device, you don't know, you just got robbed. Mm-hmm. And they could do that
0: basically forever. They but, could keep those details in place forever until you, as you said, use some other device.
1: That's right. Interesting. Yeah. That's um, clever. And, and so the, the major ahas I have, there were lots of learnings along the way, but, but a couple major ones is, hmm, this thing that we're calling a possession factor challenge. You know, because everyone's like, one-time password, that's a possession factor. And you're like, password is a possession factor. Hmm. Interesting. Um, So for me, I I built a new asset test. If I can complete the challenge by knowing something without having something, it is a knowledge factor. It is not a possession factor. So that was my first aha about OTP, you know, uh, not being what we claim it to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second aha moment uh, uh, was that if you are blind to the contextual details of what you are authenticating, Whatever we're using for authentication, at best, helps us measure that the authorized user is involved in the transaction, but it gives us no signal that the details of the transaction are what they actually intended. And that uh-huh, aha,
0: yeah, that was a big one for me.
1: Yeah, and that one, that one's still true even in like passkey, web auth, then what, what, whatever newfangled thing that we do. If you don't have a way of of uh, having a trusted path of communication where the user knows for sure what they're authenticating, even with really strong authentication like passkey, you could still inadvertently authenticate a transaction that differs from what you intended. Right. Um, so it doesn't solve the malware problem. It, it, I think it solves the phishing problem. I think it solves a lot of the the man-in-the-middle problem, but it, it, it doesn't solve the, the the malware problem on its own. Uh, anyhow, I'm skipping ahead well, a little bit. A little
0: bit. Um, is that true? <laughs> Let's say I... Um, I think I'm submitting a hundred dollars to you know some vendor or something, but I'm actually spending sending a million dollars to Nigeria. If it texts me and says "Hey" in my phone, oh sorry, I, I was saying okay. WebAuthn doesn't solve it. Oh, 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 so okay, le, right.
1: le, le, let me describe what we started I experimenting with. Um, so when we first did, I I, I think we were calling it like, uh, um, two way out of band with contextual awareness authentication or some something terrible. It was like Tubaca, you know. <laughs> Of course I was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, the general idea in, in the first couple of experiments is we would send you the details of the transaction with the OTP in an out-of-band channel. And with the hopes that if the details of the transaction don't match, that you'd call us as opposed to authenticate you know, the wrong transaction. Uh, and then we iterated a little bit further, did like two-way text messaging where you can respond one for yes, two for no, that sort of thing. And that way we had a signal back so that we had like a, a way of protecting the account uh, against further uh, malice and Intel, we could, you know, fully guarantee that their computing devices is, is safe again, et cetera. Um, and then later on did it in a, in a push format to like a signed in banking app, that, that sort of, that sort of thing. So we, we continue to evolve the strength of the out-of-band channel, but the general concept of, sorry, the new name for it is now transaction intent verification or TIV for short. And the, um, the core concept there is you're sending the detail of the transaction out of band and you're re- recording a response out of band. So you can get a signal that the details of the transaction match what the user actually wanted.
0: That's brilliant. I mean, so when the first time I heard about this, it's probably, I don't know, <clears throat> you know, 10, 15 years back now, but the first time I heard it, I'm like, I, I can't, there's only a few things out there that I kind of kicked myself that I didn't come up with. <laughs> I'm like, I have been working this field for so long. How come I didn't come up with that one? Um, that was
1: one of those. So, so let's, let's give credit to where credit's due here. Um, while I did independently come to these thoughts on my own, as, as I started researching this problem space a lot further, I discovered that there's plenty of other prior art. So um,
0: Yes, but it wasn't deployed in this level.
1: Sh- sure, but D- Doug Song with Duo Security. Sure. Um, IBM, with they, they had a team out of Zurich, actually, and they had a device that they called the Stick or Z-T-I-C. And uh, it was it was basically a hardware implementation of the same concept. Sounds terrible. It, it, it's not deployable. <laughs> each, each device is over 100 bucks. But they were, they were partnered with UBS, and they were sending it out to all their, their high rollers, their high net worth people. So, sounds terrible.
0: So at, at eBay, yeah. we, we did something kind of some eBay slash PayPal. Yeah. Uh, sent out these devices, um, and we used them as punishment. We used them to basically stop people from using the site. Sure. Um, so really, the only thing that works is the cell phone or something along those lines. Something maybe that you have call. with you all the time. Yeah, something,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, and that was that was the thing that I'm like, oh, of course, the cell phone. Uh, um, and I had I'd previously dismissed the cell phone because I thought one of the vectors would be maybe malware on the phone because back then. Now we're on phones was kind of more wow. of a a common that, sort of thing. That's and, not a hypothetical. That that no, no, absolutely I happened. I know, I know, yeah. but it was more of a common thing, like yeah. less less so these days. Yeah. Um. But. Well, on Mac uh, devices, definitely, or Apple devices, definitely not an Android ecosystem, which is a hot mess. But um, but then I was thinking, not many people actually use their bank from their phone. Uh, especially these controllers These controllers are sitting behind a desk all day long and they're mm-hmm. sending emails back and forth they're not they're not surfing their bank from their phone. That's just not something they're doing I right. mean, They're not doing that. So to get both a compromise on the desktop and the phone at the same
1: time, the chances of that happening are basically nothing. Let's come back to that um, in 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 a second. Um, well, I, actually okay let's 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 talk about that now. Uh, so are you familiar with zipmo? Zeus in the mobile. Uh, Mm. But it was, it was one of the very next things, of course, that the bad actors came out with is instead of going directly to trying to hack the transaction and and steal the money, they instead said, Hey, we're your bank. We care about you. We invented this new security thing. That's really important in order to take advantage of it. Please download this software to your phone. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you're Android and you were not in the walled garden ecosystem, then you immediately trojaned your own phone. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so
0: again, controllers using and I mean there's a yeah. lot of steps here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have to social engineer them twice. Um, that, both to get on their device and the mobile device and they have to be using Android. Yeah. Uh, just don't it's just not that common, right? I mean it'll yeah. happen. I'm sure one or two people will get nailed here and there but um so but ultimately, I think the vast majority of people the people, just normal human beings, not controllers, just people. They're just going to say, like, wait, no, I didn't send a hundred thousand dollars to Nigeria. I'm like, what? No, like, did you do this? No, I didn't do that. The credit card company is like, hey, I just saw a five hundred dollar transaction in North Carolina. Are you in North Carolina? I'm like, I'm not in North Carolina. No, I'm not at a gas station. I'm not buying five hundred dollars worth of gas at a <laughs> at like, what kind of big rig do I have to be hauling around to get five hundred dollars in gas? Right. You know, it's just not going to happen, right? That type of thing, when it's it's now it's percolated. Now it's you see this kind of transaction verification stuff all over the place. That's right. Um, it's
1: it's my it's my sincere hope that we can get rid of OTP and replace it with TIB everywhere, and that we can get rid of passwords and replace that with Passkey everywhere. Because once once we have that reality, now now we have the incredibly strong authentication assurance level that the real users involved in the transaction. That's what you get from Passkey, combined with the details of the transaction being what the user actually intended. So you you don't have to do this for all transactions, but I would say for all of your high value transactions, sure. Or anytime that ATO risk is detected and you're not quite sure
0: when you're doing something really dangerous. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. So I don't know why you don't consider yourself in the billionaire club, man. I, (laughs) I, you absolutely helped a billion people. I don't know what you were talking about. Um, so I'm going by the end of this, uh, I'm going to disavow you. Uh, So one of the other things that happened in this company, and the more I think about it, we should probably not mention the name of uh, this banking company. Um, One of the things that happened uh, in this particular thing is you brought me in to do an assessment of one company in particular. Uh, They're a vendor. You were thinking about bringing them in. And um, I really, really didn't want to do it. I really, really didn't want to do it. It kind of put me in a bad position because I'm like... If I don't find anything, you're going to think I'm an idiot. And if and I actually knew the vendor. And I'm like, if I do find anything, which is almost a certainty, the vendor's going to think I'm an idiot or an asshole anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so I, there's, there's just no winning this thing, right? And then you're like, no, Robert, you got to do it. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And we went back and forth a bunch of times. Uh, finally, I decided to do it. I still don't know why I agreed to do it. It's probably because it's you. If it hadn't been any, if it had been anyone else, I probably would have said no. But it was probably just because it was you. I'm like, well, okay, fine. So I did, and I found all kinds of problems, uh, like really pretty dramatic problems. I don't think it killed your relationship with them, but it certainly uh, killed my relationship with them. <laughs> yeah,
1: they, uh, if, I, if I recall, we, we didn't end up implementing the solution in production. So Okay, all right. Yeah. So
0: I guess it did kill it in both directions. Yeah. So I don't know, like, if you have any thoughts about, like, I don't have regrets about that situation because I did I did the thing I was supposed to do. I was hired yeah. for a thing. I did the thing, um, but I definitely know it strained a lot of relationships, or maybe even broke relationships, um, based on what I consider just to be, you know, good honest work. You know what I mean? But but people don't they don't react well when they lose a gigantic contract. You know what I mean?
1: Well, it, it it never feels good, but I I think that the people that I respect the most can understand when they came up short. And, you know, if if we're being honest with ourselves, we've all come up short at some point, of course. And that's when we dig deeper and try harder next time. So I I don't have any regrets about pointing out if somebody calls short, because it's what will fuel their growth for the future.
0: Maybe, but maybe it also... um didn't give them the opportunity
1: to grow because we I, put them
0: in a very perilous situation. I'm still friends with them. And Are you? Okay. They, they had okay.
1: a, they had an exit. They're happy. they they did just fine.
0: Yeah. I, I know that. Uh, and you know that, um, I still think my relationship is a bit more strained, um, uh, from all these because they're, because they're thinking, Hey, we're friends. Like you wouldn't, you would intentionally go in and blow me up. So maybe it's because it's an anti-corruption thing. They were thinking I'd be corrupt enough to give him a passing grade. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. Uh, I just can't. Like, no. this is not one of those situations. Um, you know, maybe, maybe if it was like a softball type problem, like, oh, they're good. They're good guys. You should go check them out or whatever. But
1: yeah. But if, if you are like you're hiring to solve this problem, this doesn't do the, that. The, that might impact
0: you know yeah. a billion people and, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe
1: billions of dollars.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what a mess. Yeah. You owe me some drinks for that one, sir. <laughs> All right, we're going to skip over some stuff because I don't want to talk too much about your uh banking adventures uh, beyond there because I think we would start decloaking stuff. If people really want to know more about it. They can do their own research. But uh eventually you um you made a stop at uh, Amazon. Yeah. Um so tell us about that. Like, what's what's life like at Amazon?
1: That was a huge gear shift for me because you know, at at this other company, even though they're they're a Fortune 500 large large company, um, because they they got bought by a bigger company, and so I got part of that, that, that uh, the larger company there. But Amazon was a different scale. Um, I, I think when I joined Amazon, we we were still able to meet at at Key Arena. And and hang out with Jeff Bezos, you know, as as a as a company there in Seattle, just over a hundred thousand people. Um, but then we had wild growth over the next seven years, just insane growth. Uh, I think when when I left them this last time, they were well over a million. Um, so that's that's the kind of growth that I got to see at Amazon. But um, it, it was a different beast because it was kind of like Lord of the Flies, <laughs> <laughs> where that isn't so good. Where, well, I mean, it's good and bad. It's right? It's a great book yeah it's 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 great <laughs> i don't if know if it's a great
0: working environment
1: <laughs> it well it's, it is rough it is rough because not everyone's your friend and uh they're not even bashful about it like okay are, but
0: but that's true of any big corporate environment it's how especially is this different it's especially true at amazon yeah, like but well, how how so
1: well there you'll have three teams that are all trying to solve the same problem and you're actually competing against each other to solve that problem hmm. and and they'll in some instances depending on how scrupulous they are um they might go out of their way to make you look bad, even though your solution is actually better than theirs. So you, you, it forces you to be on your a game with your data, because it, at a certain point, you know, if they're trying to spin a narrative and you're like, oh, but you, you said this, but let's look at the data. That's actually not true. This is what's actually true. Hmm. So if you know the data better, then then you win the day. But I, I had never been in an environment like that, so I, I, I had to. Uh, I had I'd to learn quickly is how it, to adapt. Is it
0: d- data primarily or is there also a lot of politics?
1: I mean, it's it's both obviously. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've definitely <laughs> heard some things about working at Amazon. There's this amazing memo uh, from a, pr- pr- there used to be an Amazon person. They went to Google and they're like, like, here's how Amazon is absolutely kicking her ass. Um, and, you know, we don't understand how microservices work. We don't understand how APIs work. We're dumb. You know, we, Google, are dumb. Amazon's totally got this all figured out. They're way better. And here's the ways they're not so great, but but still way better than us. Um, and then, like, but it was like, it kept talking about Jeff Bezos. It's like, oh, well, Jeff Bezos at least cares about people. I'm just kidding. Of course, anyone who knows that is laughing right now because I know Jeff Bezos doesn't care about anybody here. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. long like tirade, which is very funny, actually. Like it was it wasn't meant exactly to be a comedy, but it was kind of an internal memo, just sort of like making each other laugh a little bit. But I have heard multiple people say that it's it's one of the hardest working environments they've ever been in.
1: I, I think it also just depends on the team and it depends on who that team's stakeholders are. Uh because I've 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 had different eras there, because I've I've I I did two different tours of duty with Amazon. Um, and the second tour of duty uh, was, was less confrontational in, until a couple of major changes were made and then became super confrontational again. <laughs> Basically, half my team got assigned to a different director. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I was in the identity services team and uh, we split the front end, the back end. And if, of course, any, any change of that magnitude is, is going to be an adjustment.
0: Mm hmm. Is there a question if I was going to go work at Amazon that I should ask to avoid being on a controversial team? Is there like a, you know, secret handshake or?
1: No, I I I think with with all of these, uh, just how do you measure success? And
0: yeah, but this is you can't measure success if someone else is, you know, coming in and undercutting you. I mean, like.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you you can ask the candid questions around, you know, do you have other teams that have competitive OKRs to yours? Okay.
0: Yep. There's the magic handshake.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and how do you navigate that?
0: It seems uh, like a question you could ask across all of a major company and, uh, and you'd find some interesting like misincentives or misaligned yeah. incentives. Yeah. Um, that's really clever. Actually, we should, we should, uh, there's almost a tool there. It's almost a thing. You could do it. There's probably an outlook plugin for it. Um, <laughs> interesting. So what did you do when you were at Amazon the first tour?
1: So I was part of the information security team and I had oversight responsibility for the identity team and what they were still calling the uh, the risk management team, the TRMS team. And what that essentially meant is that we had to track all the software that they were building. We had to know what type of data they were storing and processing, make sure that they've they've all done their internal tests and that they're essentially defect free. Um, But I also you know, helped enforce all the other InfoSec policies. So it was your your standard policy enforcement InfoSec stick sort of position. Um, but I got really tight with the, the people doing the software stack and I got to help um, shape their authentication strategy, even even from an InfoSec position, which was a, a nice overlay because uh, I, was, I was in a TPM capacity there. I wasn't even product at that point for Amazon yet.
2: Mm.
0: Okay, so... Then you move on to Twitter at some point. Yes.
1: So I, I moved to Twitter in 2016. Doing? Uh, similar type work. Uh, you know, so I was always part of their central TPM group, but I was working directly with InfoSec, you know, meeting with the CISO uh, weekly and um, just trying to improve the overall authentication strategy. Who
0: was the CISO at that point?
1: Um, I can see his face. I, I <laughs> okay. sorry. Not
0: not, not Alex yeah. uh Alex Stamos. It was before no, him, no, right? it was way before Stamos. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay.
1: Um well, was, no Stamos was was at Facebook anyway. He was he was
0: Yeah. No, he eventually went to Twitter.
1: Oh. Like much later. Interesting. Much later. Okay.
0: He and he was a big whistleblower.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: And he and he was a whistleblower at uh Facebook as well. Um I can come to think of it I should probably have him on the podcast um, he technically invested in uh, my previous company so um, I know him fairly well um, interesting guy yeah
1: so, but I was I was there during you know the the, the buildup with the 2016 election and then you know all the congressional hearings that came after that trying to really figure out like how much foreign interference was happening on Twitter uh, so it was, it was a really interesting time period to be there what
0: what what did you find Anything of note?
1: Well, you know it's hard to say conclusively. Um, what what I did start looking at is that there were different people that had access to our APIs that were trying to track the the accounts that they thought were operatives, and i would I would use that as a starting point, but you know when you analyze those, they showed patterns of actual humans driving it and sometimes automation driving it, and it wasn't really conclusive where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. but we knew that the bigger the bigger problem was we we didn't know um at, at a macro level we didn't know exactly the size of the automation problem on our on our platform so this is the time period i think we were like 210 dau or something something in that range what, and what is that uh daily active users it's it's how one do of
0: you how do you measure that
1: yeah um <laughs> so in your identity stack you have a certain number of accounts that have ever been created, and you know, if you're a fairly easy account to create, you quickly end up having more accounts than there ever have been people, or certainly more than who are currently alive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but of the total number of accounts that you have in your system, a daily active user is one who has interacted with your platform. In, in, a, in, a daily, a log, in a logged in state. Yeah. Well, while well, well, well measured as signed in, they interacted with your APIs and you're able to say this interaction came for this account.
0: And what about uh, like super cluster APIs or, or IPs rather? We have like 20,000 people coming from AOL. Like, how do you measure that? Well, is it all separate users? Or are they one massive user? Like,
1: Yeah. So with every interaction, you still have like the, a notion of a device ID could be a browser cookie. You have a notion of an authentication session ID, which again is like a browser cookie. If you're, if you're on the web or if, if it's the app, then you can have it in, in the local like OAuth tokens. But um, you're able to, even with multiple concurrent sessions through the same IP address, disambiguate at the session level and at the device level and at the account level.
0: And so... What did you find? Did you find that that um, there was a significant bot problem or was it kind of unknown or like what what were your
1: findings well here here's here's the interesting part there's there's some sort of massaging that happens if if you know all the accounts that interacted and you see the numbers that are being reported, there might be a delta between those where, where the total number of interactions is higher than what we actually report, because I I, I think we were, we were cognizant even then that some of these accounts probably shouldn't be reported as, as active users, because we know that, you know, maybe we locked the account for abuse, or in some other ways, we, we already know to exclude that from what we report publicly, right. Um, but the number that was reported was, was still 100% including things that were probably automated, fully automated. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to say exact numbers because sure. NDAs and everything, but yeah, it was, it was a sizable problem. Um, and I ended up talking to the CISO and a bunch of other folks about it. And, and every time I approached the topic with, with people, it either oscillated between two extreme poles. Extreme pole one is we don't have a problem with bots at all. It's completely mitigated. Um, what are you talking about? Um, oh my God. And then the other extreme How is... How do you be that
0: naive? Do, do they even use Twitter?
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it would oscillate to the other extreme, which is uh, we've always had a bot problem. and And I remember... I'm not sure which one is funnier to me. Yeah. But, but um, the the second one, I, I remember looking at him inquisitively, and I'm like, you realize that's like a doctor telling you you have cancer, and but like, you
0: always have cancer. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: not the response I expected. Um, but yeah, so so obviously this is a a large scale problem because you as a as a company who wants to attract more users, you want to make your sign of experience as easy as possible. At the same time, you don't want your platform to be complete garbage fest where nobody knows who they're talking to and, and you know, everybody's trying to sell them nudes or, you know, the ability to hack accounts that they can't do, like everybody's selling something and it's fully automated. Um, So it can be a garbage experience. So in the process of trying to figure out how to tackle this, I discovered that there were many companies, I mean, many like over 30 companies where you could go with a credit card, give them a nominal amount of money and get, paid interactions you know they they'll repost a story they'll like something that you posted they'll be your friend you know follow you finally i have a friend (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and so i was like that's so weird that we have all these companies that are so brazen that they're like you know they're probably even paying taxes you know that's that's how brazen they are (laughs) yeah to to do all these 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 fake engagement legit companies right um and so while we had the larger picture of like how do we measure for nation state actors doing this at scale? That's a little bit more daunting. So let me start off with something a little bit lower scale that, that is achievable. And so we started, um, I created a program called Operation Megaphone, where the, the core idea is if I create a, a blank slate, I, I created a new account has no content. It hasn't posted anything. It doesn't have any followers. It's not following anybody. There's no reason in the world legitimately for anyone to want to interact with this, this egg account, right? Brand new account. And then I would go to one of these companies and I would buy fake interactions and I'd see which accounts interacted with it. Mm-hmm. And then I would measure how were those accounts created? When were they created? Is it obvious that they were just created, you know, a pure bad actor account or did they take over this account from somebody else, like an account takeover that became a bad actor account. Um, how are the communication channels set up? Which domains are they using? Are they verified? Do they have email? Do they have phone? Do they have both? What IP addresses are they using? Is it a data center? Is it a proxy? Is it a VPN? Is it you know, blah, blah, blah? You you,
0: you go into and all- And who the- are their friends, you know? Because then you get yes. a network effect.
1: And who are their their mutual, uh, who, who follows each other? Who interacts with each other? Who, have, who else have they interacted with? Mm-hmm. And, and so your, your ability to do, I, I think people call it like graph analysis now, but back in the day, we used to call it link analysis with weighted nodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, with this method, we were able to um, put the right controls in the right places to make it more difficult to create and control accounts at scale. And, you know, just within a couple months of that program, I, I think we put 14 companies out of business. Which which wow, was really, really cool, yeah. So uh, I stated as a goal that I, I at minimum wanted to know that. cause their prices to be increased because if their prices go up, that means I'm at least making it harder. Mm-hmm. But like they full scale said, we we're not going to take anybody else's money anymore because we we literally can't do our jobs anymore.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that actually worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I always knew it would, uh, but it was neat. It's neat to see that it that it did. Um, so uh how did people take it and run the office? I mean, how'd that
1: go? Um, Some people were more skeptical than others in the beginning. Some people bought into the idea right away. Um, The more skeptical ones, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I pushed the envelopes a little bit about how, how to be convincing, you know, cause this, this one individual in particular, um, he was adamant that we had no bot problem whatsoever.
0: What a moron.
1: (laughs) Well, it was his job to solve the bot problem. So he, he, he had probably already told other people that it was solved, you know? Uh And, and so, and they had never used Twitter apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, one way or another, this, this individual woke up one morning with 10,000 new followers overnight. And uh, that, that was how we, we helped convince this individual that maybe there is a bot problem.
0: Uh And how'd that
1: work? Uh, He ended up being, one of the champions of operation megaphone even after i left (laughs) (laughs) are we gonna leave it there (laughs) i i I think i think we do for now okay fine fine
0: fine 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 um so from your perspective um so, I know Musk had this, like, kind of battle going back and forth about, like, what the ATO rates were or what the, or the bot, bot problems rates, yeah. bot rates were. I mean, there was a bunch of different things he was talking about. Um, based on what you saw, do you think – because I get the impression it actually – it's it's about as bad as Twitter was actually reporting.
1: Well, it, it, it depends on how you measure it because – you, know, you can measure it in terms of DAO. You can measure it in terms of interactions. You can measure it in terms of like specific types of interactions. But in DAO figures alone, it's like a third. It's about 30%. You know?
0: Jesus, that's yeah. high.
1: Yeah, but 30%. It, but it's totally understandable.
0: I'm not saying, I. I but wow, that's high. Um, and to say that there's no bot problem. <laughs> I mean, and to say that, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, I mean, I know it's high, but I didn't know it was quite that high. So if that's the case, what does that mean for ad revenue? Because that's,
1: you know, well, Twitter's bread and butter. And, 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 and that's, that was the part that internally I, I kept trying to explain. It's like, look, guys, like we, we understand that we want to report more users. Yes, of course, we all want our stock price to go up. Um, but the return on investment for advertisers, like they're, they're going to know when the number isn't reflecting people who are actually, you know, buying things, right? And so I I think that that's why there was always some sort of. I'm not sure,
0: Robert, because look, I was I was actually just talking to somebody the other day um, on a true crime podcast, (laughs) of all things, uh, and they're interviewing me about uh, you know just different types of frauds that have existed, and one of them is uh, click fraud in Google. And we know pretty reliably that the minimum number is 10%. We don't know what the real number is, but we know a minimum number. And the reason I know that is because the amount of, I basically asked a buddy of mine who owns an ad network, like you let me have all your logs. And if it, anybody, if it had been anybody other than me, he would have said absolutely not, right? But for me, like whatever. And I wanted two slices of data. I wanted the server header and I wanted the do not track header. And the reason for that, is I was trying to figure out how many people turn on do not track. Uh, this was back when it was a thing and it was actually mattered. And my conjecture was the amount of clicks it took to get there, you'd see an exponential drop off. So in Internet Explorer, it was like six clicks. and Firefox, it was like five. and Chrome, it was like seven or something. So I'm like, okay, so it should be one, two, three. You know, uh, Firefox first, uh, Internet Explorer second, and Chrome very dead last. But Internet Explorer was 10%. 10%. And I'm like, how the hell is it 10%? There's just no way that it's possible. Well, I figured it out. It was one developer who messed up and dumped his HTTP headers and he had the do not track header turned on. And so his bot had mirrored his HTTP headers and so suddenly all internet traffic coming from Internet Explorer from his bot looked like it was an Internet Explorer like an actual user. That means at minimum... That's just the minimum. That's one developer. Yeah, one, accounted for one bad actor crew. One yeah. bad actor crew yeah. represented 10% of the amount of fraud going through their systems at minimum for Internet Explorer, which represented at, the, at that time, I think, 50% of the traffic. So it's 5% just for Internet, uh, if you include all of it, for one person, one mm-hmm. bad guy, right? Or yeah. whatever, one one crew. You know it's higher than that, way higher than that. Mm-hmm. So maybe the number is closer to 30 um, I mean, that wouldn't be terribly surprising. And if that's the case, let's say I'm an advertiser and I look at Twitter and it's giving me 30%, uh, less clicks than I'd expect. And I look at uh, Google AdSense or whatever, and it's giving me 30% less. I'm like, I guess that's my conversion rate.
1: Yeah. If everyone's suffering from the same problem, then it's going to be harder for you to really enforce it as an advertiser. Mm hmm. But eventually, somebody's going to figure out, and they're going to have higher ROI for you. Um, let's go back to the, the nation-state stuff for, sure. m- for a minute. Um, did a lot of other really fun research here. Um, are you aware of how the, um, the center in Russia got started uh, manipulating Americans? I had no idea. So, um, again, I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> full, full disclosure. I don't like how you said that. <laughs> Am going to have to edit this? <laughs> um, but uh, what, what, what they found is there were some uh, cameras in New York uh-huh. that were accessible on, on the web. And they started advertising the ability to come, at, come to this one corner at a certain time on a certain day, and you will get a free hot dog. And much to their surprise, a bunch of Americans showed up for the free hot dog. Of course, there was no free hot dog when they got there. Mm. But that was their aha moment where, wait a minute, we can tell Americans things and they'll do stuff in real life based on what we manipulate them to do. And and so, you know, a, a lot of people have been talking about, oh, the the, the the it was all manipulated for Trump. And that's not true by the slightest. I mean, yes, there were a lot of pro-Trump posts, but there's also a lot of pro-Hillary posts their key was to cause discord. And so they, they would cause like a, a pro-Muslim rally at the same time as an anti-Muslim rally for a, a, a new um, you know, Muslim worship center. Um, they would do Blue Lives Matter versus Black Lives Matter. They, they, were, they were just full-on chaos generating machines. And they were playing both sides. What they wanted more than anything else is for none of us to like each other and for none of us to trust each other. Interesting. Well, it worked. It did. Unfortunately.
0: Um. Well, that's terrifying. Um. I mean, I generally like most people. Uh. So I feel well, like one to I'm, I'm, I'm a bit immune to that, but but, uh, but I see. I see. There's a lot of theys in in uh, in conversations these days. Yeah. Them, theys, they do this.
1: Those, that group of people, blah, blah, blah. I think when you just still... When, when we get to a collectivism and we get away from individualism, we lose the humanity. Because I, I don't think that you can spend time in the same room as somebody, look somebody in the eye, have a real conversation with them, even if they're... That's a, precisely why I like this. But you, Chris keeps trying to get me to do this over the internet. I'm like, what are
0: you talking about? I need to be able to look at them.
1: <laughs> but even somebody who has wildly I mean wildly different worldviews than you like my, my sister is a great example of this my 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 younger sister I love her to death but any topic you can think of we probably have the polar opposite opinion of it but we can still hang out mm. uh, and that's that's something that I, I think a lot of our society has forgotten how to do is be okay with somebody having a different opinion from you
0: and not at gunpoint you're like actually hanging out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say I live in Austin, which is a, a very blue um, pearl in the middle of a you know kind of red ocean. Sea of red, yeah. Um, so I definitely have both. You know what I mean? Like I, I have, yeah, I have people come over, and you know I I could not disagree more with some of their policies and interests and whatever. But But we have a great time. We have, have, I mean, amazing, you know, great conversations. And some of it gets heated, but some of my favorite people are the people who can hang with being in a heated conversation. And one of us is wrong, and we're going to figure out who's right. You know what I mean?
1: Always be open to being wrong.
0: Yeah, I I actually prefer to be wrong in those smaller settings as opposed to this, you know, where I got many, many, many people ridiculing me later. But um, I prefer it because at least then... I get the chance to rectify it before I go out and make an ass of myself in public. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I feel like this kind of gently dovetails us into the last big thing that I think you and I had kind of talked about that you wanted to have a little um, go at. So when I and you were fairly early in the industry, um, the industry was a certain way. Uh, as you said, zines were a certain way. You said zines. I say zines, but yeah. whatever magazines. I think I'm right, by the way. It's kind of <laughs> like GIF versus GIF. Sure. Uh, but uh, but uh, like the internet was a certain way. You yeah. go to a conference and conferences were a certain way. You um, you send out an email to to a group of like-minded people in a news group or something. It was a certain way. Like, how do you see the ecosystem having changed um, in your career?
1: Great question. I I don't think it's I don't think it's limited to InfoSec. Um, but what I'm seeing right now in America, especially since 2020, it's, it's the, the heat has really turned up. But it feels like we're under the spell of some sort of Marxist takeover of the entire country. And I, and I feel like it's, it's leading us forcefully, in, in some instances, to a path of uh, socialism, tyranny, and, and eventually communism. And it's, it's really scary to watch. I, I don't think that people believe anymore that they have freedom of speech. I think that most people self-censor and they're afraid to say what their true opinions are because we've replaced um, diversity of thought with conformity. We've replaced equal opportunity with equity of outcome. We've replaced may the best man win or best candidate win, whomever they are, based on their merit, based on their individual capabilities, their skill sets, their experience, their education, may the best person for this role win has been replaced with, check the box.
0: I think that right there is the one that resonates with me personally the most. Yeah. Because when you and I were coming up, if you didn't know what you were doing, people would... were out. You were, yeah, well... You were ridiculed, and then you were out. <laughs> you, you wish you never even bothered
1: with the charade, right? Because you you will be exposed as a charlatan in our industry. At least that was the norm. But now I, I look at conferences, and everybody seems to be a charlatan, and it's super weird. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll give you another, uh, another thing that really stands out at DEF CON in particular. DEF CON, more so than Black Hat, seems to have been completely overcome by this woke mind virus. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a page straight out of 1984 where, you know, the, the whole goal of doublethink is to hold two conflicting ideas in your head at the same time while believing both of them. And, you know, here, here we have a group of some of the legitimately most skilled hackers on the planet who find holes in everything, including voting machines. And for years have been warning us about how hackable these are and how dangerous they are. Mm -hmm. And at the same time saying, nope. Joe Biden legitimately got 81 million votes and there was no shenanigans. There's no ballot stuffing. There was no, no hacks of any type, you know? So on the one hand, they're saying that everything is hackable. And on the other hand, they're saying nothing was hacked. And I find both of those to be in conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but. So having looked
0: at voting machines in the past and knowing a number of people who've done pen tests on them, um, not super secure devices, <laughs> not even, not even yeah. by like normal standards, let alone by the stringent, like what you'd expect like highest rigors of computer security to be. Yeah. There's um, nothing trusted computing
1: about it, it, it. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, even, even if you claimed there was, and, and maybe there are some, I'm not going to, I'm not going to blanket and say that there's no one who's ever figured this out because right? I have not looked at all of them. Um, The tests that they were allowed to run, the third party, like, go and and run these tests, um, they basically just said, go in this room, and there's, like, 10 companies or something who are elected to go do this thing. Go in this room, and you have an hour to go do this pen test on this thing. But with 10 people who are all trying to do it at the same time on a single machine... And you're thinking, at least they sent the tech guy with them. No, they brought the sales guy who wants to burn through 45 minutes of your hour talking about the the features and benefits and, oh, and, and this is why we have chose this color of button and blah, blah, blah. you know. And so the actual time any one person might have gotten the box might have been like two minutes or something. Yeah. You're not going to get very good results. You know what I mean? And meanwhile, an adversary might have years Take, take a look at the exact same box.
1: Or they, they might be part of the consulting team that knows exactly where the vulnerabilities are ahead of time. So yeah, So you can correct. just exploit them as needed. Exactly. So, I, you know, the only path forward here, like if we're serious about saving democracy, we need to go back to a system where we're voting in person, we prove that we're a citizen, that we prove that we are the, the, the identity that is voting.
0: Okay, well, let's take voting off the table for a moment, and let's just extrapolate and say there's a group of people who really want Us to believe a thing Why Why do you want me to believe that So bad I mean I i Don't I don't understand I don't want You to believe things so but bad Belief is weird Why? though because like it's kind, it's kind of religion. Like and asking
1: me to believe in the sun is like a weird thing. Like yeah. you, can, you can talk about the reality of the sun. You can say, yeah, tomorrow I expect it to be up about this time. It's and, warm when you go outside when the <laughs> sun yeah. is up. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we need to work in the world of provable reality. Like belief is not something that I want associated with voting.
0: Yeah. It, this has always seemed very strange to me because I don't want people telling me what to think. I don't like editorials. I wrote this very long post. I think it was on Facebook at one point. It's basically like how to read stuff in 2020, I think, or 2021, or I don't know what it was. But it's basically like if it's an editorial, if it looks like an editorial, if it's got like I think or I or we or what, if they're editorialing themselves or, you know, they're using question marks in the title or anything, like these are all like obvious signs that this is definitely an editorial and you should skip it, which basically cuts down on your reading by probably nine tenths at this point which means that nine tenths of the stuff online is is unreadable because it's somebody trying to convince you of something and i'm not saying editorials don't have some value i'm not saying there aren't some editorials that are amazing and truly worth reading but not as news not as actual fact not as Mm. like i learned this incredibly important detail it's like no you have to say like people are like so and so uh doesn't care about blah 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 it's like yes. Someone on in the world doesn't care about the thing you care about as much as you care about the thing, and it, when you read it in that context, it doesn't sound as bad. It's like, and I probably don't care about that thing as much as you care about that yeah, thing. My, <laughs> my
1: my daughter likes strawberry ice cream way more than. I do. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> I know. How can you live with yourself? It's crazy, and,
0: and I don't want to trivialize it too much, but at the same time, it does seem silly that everyone's trying to get you to overreact and the whataboutisms. isms and like, yeah. and like I just. I I frankly don't care because most of these things actually aren't that meaningful to my day job and my day job up to the point where I was uh, fun employed (laughs) was all about protecting people. And I don't, I don't care how I get there. I don't care whose tech I'm using. I don't care where it came from or whatever, as long as it works, as long as I can prove that it's going to work. And, and once you get into the true sense of meritocracy where you're really just, I I only want to care. I only want to talk to people who know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't. I don't care what you look like. I don't. No. I, don't I don't care your your, your skin tone. Who you, who you like to sleep with. I don't care about any of those things. No. You, the one thing I care about is are you good at your job?
0: That you said it beautifully. I can't imagine when we first started going to this thing. I mean, there was every race, color, sex, creed, everything, yeah. and everything everyone in between. Everyone yeah. looked like whatever they looked like, yeah. and you're like, this is. A kind of a freak show, but it's great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you learn. The crazy
1: troll guy just taught you something. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs>
0: I, that guy who looks like he's like straight out of a prison. Like, I mean, he's amazing. Like yeah. that guy really knows what he's talking about of uh, this one particular
1: area or whatever.
0: Uh, you know, covered in prison, literal prison tats, not like right.
1: <laughs> like face tats, teardrops.
0: <laughs> like teardrops. Yeah. And like, oh wow, that yeah. guy actually knows a lot. Like he's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was this point and I'm not saying this contributed to it, but I'm saying it's kind of an endemic of the problem um, where they were like, you can't talk to anybody who's a hacker. If you want to get your CISSP, for instance, which is a certification, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what do, you, what do you mean I can't talk to a hacker? Like, they're the people who are actually making this industry work. Like, they're the ones finding all the vulnerabilities. And like, I consider myself to be a hacker. I ran hackers.org, for God's sakes. So, like, I mean,
1: I, 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 I see them as professionals that are, semence is better at their job than we are at ours you know like i they they keep us employed i you know i obviously i i have an opposing outcome they, they being hackers yeah. yeah i have an opposing outcome that i'm driving for mm-hmm. but you know i yeah they're, they're they're doing their thing i i once had breakfast with with somebody who um they confided to me what they actually do that this was back in the era of those pop-ups, those terrible pop-ups on windows that gave me. Sorry you. about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he's like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. And is how much money I make. I'm like, well, you suck. But, you know, obviously um, you're good at what you do because it's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you I, I think that we can we can still learn from them.
0: 100%. Yeah. So my kind of standing offer with, uh, with people I meet who are along that line yeah. uh, is I'm willing to talk to you about whatever. You know, like the, the true sort of, I hate to use the word because I think it's kind of been co-opted by somebody I may not want to align myself with, but the gray zone, you Mm -hmm. know, that weird middle area where it's probably ethically at minimum questionable or maybe even black, but, but it's dual use and, and, or is fully black. And I know you're using it for a bad purpose and you just want to talk to somebody. Like there's somebody out there who will listen to you and won't put you in jail and, and will have a, a true intellectual conversation with you and maybe even introduce you to people you might want to meet. I'm willing to provide that service minus the fact that I will definitely come after your technique. I will go after what's making you money.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to create a solution that makes what you're currently doing not possible. Right. Yeah.
0: Right, but I won't... St- I won't put you in jail. I don't care about putting individuals in jail. Like no, just,
1: I just want to make the thing not possible. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: Because I think that's the uh, that's the true choke point. Yeah. So back to meritocracy, like where do you where do you see this going? Do you think we're do you think we're running a corner, or do you think it's like full on like head into something that's very different? Like where where do you see things going?
1: If enough is if enough of us hire and develop the best talent available. Like I, I'm totally open to expanding um, your talent pool. You know, truly do interview and, and, and take resumes from as wide of a candidate source as possible so that you are given an equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. But if you hire the best, if you train the best, if you promote the best, your company is gonna do better than other companies. Mm-hmm. And the companies that figure this out are gonna have higher stock prices. And eventually this can sort itself out. The only thing that makes me pessimistic about this outcome is companies like BlackRock and this, this incessant uh, ESG play where they're essentially forcing this communistic, uh, you know, false metric on all the, all the major companies. They own so much shares in all the Fortune 500 companies that they're, they're essentially beholden to their whims. And the, their access to capital, cheap capital at at, at correct um, you know margins, is based on their ESG score. So everybody is is forced to play along and play nice with this. But you know it it is not actually in their company's best interest. It's not in their customers' best interest to do so. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know how it's actually going to play out. But I'm in the back of my head I'm I'm super hopeful that somebody with startup type capital can create a company that goes back to merit.
0: Well, OK, from a true capitalistic perspective, why isn't there a BlackRock 2 kind of, you know, who doesn't have ESG and says, I don't want any of that crap. And if you touch it,
1: you know. Well, you know, you, you you look at people who give lip service to trying to do it. You know, Vivek, that was what he was known to, known for before his, you know, presidential candidacy. But, he, you know, the, the more we're learning about him, the more now I question if his company is as anti-woke or anti-ESG as he, he claims it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. There, there isn't really an alternative right now, uh, and, and I think that's what we're all longing for: is is an alternate economy, a, a way for us to align with people who don't hate us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are there are other people that are that are trying to build this alternate economy, but it's still very much in its infancy stage.
2: We're,
0: I would have trouble trying to put you in a particular category because I've seen you through many many uh, <laughs> versions of you, yeah. but. But um, where would you say you fall? And if I were to guess, I would say like true libertarian, like uh, la liberté version. Yeah, I'm, I'm an old
1: school liberal. I, I, I believe in freedom. You know, so um, I don't care who you are or what you stand for. If you're trying to steal my money and do things with it that I don't agree with, I'm, I'm going to have issue with it.
0: Whether it be government or a black hat, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like my work
1: product, I get to say what it, what happens with it, you know? Um, but giving freedom means not just freedom for the things that you like. You got to give people freedom to be whoever they are. Even the things that aren't your cup of tea. Right. That's what freedom is.
0: True freedom. Yeah. Which means you have to accept people you really, really dislike. Of course.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and as long as they're not harming you, as long as they're not harming yeah, your but what, family. What is,
0: what does harm mean? Cause that's been co-opted as well.
1: Sure. Uh Let's let's use a really easy to explain example. You know, if you're not physically assaulting me, <laughs> yeah, you know, I would consider that not being harmful. If, if you're not trying to co-opt my child's education with nonsense, I, I would, uh, we'd probably get along. Um, but it, 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 as soon as, as soon as you're trying to force your opinion onto me or my family, um, I, I think that's where lines start getting crossed. Mm-hmm.
0: So what next, what is it,
1: uh, what do we do? Um, for, for me personally, uh, you know, my, my family, we, we got off pretty much all social media six years ago and we.
0: That's why I've been tagging you and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, like my, my
1: friends find me on signal uh, where we hang out in person and, and uh, you know, I, I wake up every day and try to be a better person and you know, I'm, I'm done being angry. Um, you know, I, I, I went through the whole, when I was in high school, I was Republican. Then I went Libertarian. Then I was like an anarchist capitalist, not 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 like the fake anarchist, the communist. Because I don't know how you can be an anarchist and a communist. That's such an oxymoron to me. Because communism is ultimate government, ultimate tyranny, ultimate control. So if you're a communist, you're by definition not an anarchist. But um, anyhow, yeah, I was an anarchist capitalist <laughs> for for a little while, uh, and now I don't even know what I am. It, it, you know, I voted for the first time. In 20 years, I I think, in the last election cycle. And I'll I'll keep trying it, even though in Washington State our vote doesn't matter because we we have complete no accountability whatsoever with our vote. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to keep doing it just, you know, why not? Sure. Um, But the the rest of it is just talk to people, engage with people. So
0: how do you do that? Like, what's your way to meet more people? This is mine, right? Some people I know well. You're a great example of that. Uh, Other people... I might've just met that day, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm coming in very fresh. I mean, I know yeah. I've done a lot of research on them before they walked in the room. So I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not fully uneducated, but as, as in terms of their political beliefs or ideologies or whatever, they might be completely opposite of any stance I might stand on any given issue. Yeah. Uh. So how do you, how do you go about making sure that you're not in an echo chamber?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I can tell with my friends that there's certain topics that, you know, maybe we don't repeat every time we hang out. Cause <laughs> it, it definitely, you know, hit, hit a nerve with them, but you keep hanging out anyway. And, you know, like I remember in the 80s, dating myself a little bit now, mm-hmm. remember in the 80s, the, the etiquette was you, you don't talk about, you know, money, religion, politics, mm-hmm. and you focus instead on the things that you actually have in common.
0: Now that's all you talk about? Unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> it is, but like I don't.
1: I, I try not to like yeah. occasionally I might throw in something and I read the room to see if anybody's interested more, but you are laughing yeah, yeah yeah if 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 they're into it you you can, you can go deeper, but like for the most part, I think we just need to remember that we're all just doing our best we're We're all humans having a human experience just trying to find happiness and joy in life, and if you focus on that and you focus on people who are focusing on that, I think it's going to go better,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty worried, man. Uh, I'm pretty worried. Yeah. Um, it's it's so my very like crazy right wing uh, friends are are telling me things like, Robert, don't worry, um, because effectively what's happened is, the the majority, which is the center, actually not not where he is, um, or the people I'm talking about, There's actually multiple saying basically the same thing, but um, the majority are. Much more normal human beings than you're thinking. Yeah,
1: the, the 85% in the middle are chill.
0: They're very, they're very just normal yeah. people, and they're tired of this conversation. Yeah. They're really tired of it. Yeah. And the left has pushed very, very heavily in it in a direction that the middle doesn't understand. They don't get it. They don't like it. They don't want it. And it's starting to appear in things like uh, Disney outcomes, for instance, like, um, or box office, whatever. Um, but also in other places, like people are just like, I'm not going to work with this company anymore. It's just not, they're reaping,
1: they're reaping what they, what they sow, though. Like I, and I'll, I'll tell you when we hang out afterwards, the, the full reasons why, but I canceled my prime membership and I will not give Amazon another dime. I won't give Disney another dime. You know, we, we vote with our dollars, and our time more than we vote with the ballot. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean about the alternate economy. Like I, I'm at the point now where if a company espouses things that are harmful to me or my family, I'm going to stop giving them money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's the only sensible thing to do. And even if it's less convenient for me to live my life without two hour shipping,
0: but you're saying that as a previous Amazon employee, of you're course, not going to use Amazon prime. No,
1: not, not, not until they, they change their company, what, what matters to their company. Interesting. Yeah. Like, and again, I'll, I'll share with you afterwards sure. exactly what, what was the tipping point for me, but it's clear that my morals and my stances and theirs are not aligned. And I can either keep funding people who don't seem to have my best interests at heart, or I can save that money for somebody else. I hope companies can get out of politics. I Hope companies can go back to just being excellent at what they do.
0: Every company I advise, I'm like, just avoid this conversation because yeah. you just halved your market either direction you go. Like, yeah, why, I, are, why would you do that?
1: I, I love Michael, <laughs> Michael Jordan's his, his classic quote on this. He, because uh, um, he, he was selling all, all those Nike shoes and, and, you know, people wanted him to be more political. And he's like, hey, man, Republicans buy sneakers too. They sure do yeah um
0: they can't jump as well but uh <laughs> sure <Yeah. laughs> that's why you need the shoes <laughs> obviously yeah, the pump action. Yeah. yeah oh my gosh pump boy that dates us both right there yeah um okay well um do you want to talk about snap at all do you think that it's worth uh talking about like the ato stuff
1: um we're, we're doing a lot of really cool things I, I've, obviously this, this is my my active job right now. So there's very little that I, I can say publicly. But, sure. But um, I, I would say over the next year or so, you're, you're going to see some improvements to the, uh, to the worlds that, uh, you know, what I've been working in the, in the last 20 years, or whatever. Authentication is going to get a, a lot better. It's going to be easier. And it's going to be, you're going to see less annoyance from, you know, spammy sort of interactions. Uh, we, snap,
0: snap, uh, snapchat. Yeah. Um, but, one stat i was able to pull without your consent uh was uh something like a 66 or 67 percent reduction in atos um
1: oh yeah um yeah so that was that was from when, when i when i got hired a couple of years ago yeah uh-huh. yeah i yeah i got, i got hired when there was a real need to make an improvement here and and just just in the last couple of years alone we' we've, we've made Tons of roadmap changes that have ridiculously lowered the amount of ATL.
0: And is that the kind of the boilerplate? I mean, I know you can't tell me specifically, but is that like the boilerplate um, kind of run book of the things that you need to do? Or is this like net new stuff that you're creating?
1: Well, in in most, and this is generic for the entire internet, right? So it, your your levers that you can pull if you want to reduce account takeover is you can make the user do more to prove that they are the owner of the account. That's how you get more authentication assurance and that's by adding more authentication mechanisms. Um, And you can also get better at detecting risk. And if you get good at both of those, then instead of making the user do all of the authentication all the time, which potentially makes them want to use your platform less because it's such a pain in the neck to use, Mm -hmm. you can make it so that you only make them jump through the extra hoops when you detected enough risk to make it, you know, warranted. Um, and so a, a lot of that, that effort was getting better at detecting risk and making it so that we only have to do the more extreme authentication when that risk is detected.
0: That sounds familiar. I've seen a couple of people doing similar kinds of things, which I think is super smart. Which, do you really want to punish your best users? No. I mean, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, you, I, mean, you I, t-
1: I, I had that experience uh, with my bank account in Sweden. You know, I, I had to do, uh, and it's, it's like crazy OTP. I had like a touchpad touchpad and everything. Um, it was like a... <laughs> One-time pad sort of deal, an actual pad, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so to sign in, it was username, password, OTP. To add a new pay, a person that I needed to give money to, I had to do an OTP to give them money. I had to do a new new OTP. So like any bill pay that I did was. I think like I've seen three this. OTPs. It was it was insane.
0: I think I've seen this, and it was like a you actually had to write out a huge string in this little yeah, device. You had, to, you
1: had to type in your pin code in order to get an OTP back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I've seen this before um, yeah.
0: and I was surprised and I, I actually was thinking like it's kind of clever if if you had to store a lot of different things sort of like I want to use this same device in like 20 different websites. It's kind of clever because you could do, you could have different pins and or even like an emergency pin. You give it, somebody has a gun to your head and you're like, okay, here's my, you know, yeah, you don't this, tell them.
1: That's how you can flag that there's fraud on this transaction. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay,
0: so it goes through and you yeah. know it was to send the police because yeah. this person's, you know. Under duress. Under duress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay. So what's next for you, man? What are you, uh, what are you doing? This is worth talking about. I, I. Writing any books or uh, doing uh, touring, uh, doing a speaking engagements?
1: No, man. My, my, my focus right now um, is just on, on personal growth again. I'm teaching myself Latin. And, oh, and that's I'm, super useful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it is. I'm, I, I didn't mean to make that sound like a joke. Uh, l- knowing the linguistics of the entomology of, a, of words is very useful because you can know the underlying means meanings of those words. There's that aspect,
1: which is worth it by itself. But I... What I'm finding is that there's such precious little time that you have to, to articulate a problem statement and to articulate what we should do about a problem statement. And when you can speak with precision, brevity, and be understandable, uh, it's such a gift. And Latin forces that level of concise thinking. And so from that, I'm, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Well, brother, uh, it has been a wild ride the last 20-something years, and um, I really appreciate you coming all the way out here. Um, I'm going to ask it, but I, I don't know if I'm going to get a good answer. Where can people find you and talk to you? And uh, do they have to have your phone number to get on signal? Or um, uh? <laughs> yeah. I, I would say
1: a starting point would just be LinkedIn. Okay. Um, yeah, you could probably search for Robert Lee or Robert E. Lee, um, security or Snapchat. There's lots of different ways you can find me, but um, I'm, I think I'm Robert E. Lee SEC. As you know, for the for security.
2: Yeah, I've got a question, real quick. Yep. Yeah. Any relation to Robert E.
1: Lee? Um, not not direct. I mean, my, my dad's from Texas. Uh, my mom's maiden name uh, started with E, and so that's that's where I got it from. They just couldn't resist. Mm. Um, but. Oh, so your parents played a joke on (laughs) 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 it. Yeah.
0: And it kept going and going. That joke kept going.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It it, it was funny until like four years ago. Then it stopped being (laughs) funny.
0: Well, there is another Robert Lee in Infrasec. There's a few of
1: us. There's Robert Emly. Robert is who I was thinking about. Yeah.
0: And he's pretty
1: well known Oh, well, he's incredibly well known like what is it dragos or whatever yeah, yeah yeah i for for long before i changed my phone number funny enough like a bunch of people who knew both of us would accidentally write me when they're trying to write him <laughs> really <laughs> yeah so i i'd I something like other robert <laughs> <laughs>
0: other robert lee yeah Oof. Uh yeah that's tricky yeah I don't I don't get that one but uh, but I, I've had a couple of similar name collisions that are uh, like Robert Hanson the spy there's a yeah. there's a guy who does bathroom rights in Santa Barbara California I get that one sometimes there's a serial killer there's name. a serial killer named Robert Hanson that was uh, useful when I was dating uh, oh. a nice filter there <laughs> maybe there's not a first date yeah. I'm like well if you're too dumb to not look at the photo I probably shouldn't date you <laughs> yeah. A gate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a little bit yeah exactly All right, man. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate you coming out. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming.